It's an aberration of consciousness. It's an aberration of technology. It's scientism. It's not science. It's scientism. We're going to force feed you this nonsense because the better technology has to be suppressed so we can make money on our pharmaceutical garbage. I'm Luke Story. For the past 22 years, I've been relentlessly committed to my deepest passion, designing the ultimate lifestyle based on the most powerful principles of spirituality, health, psychology, and personal development. The Lifestylist Podcast is a show dedicated to sharing my discoveries and the experts behind them with you. The show you're listening to would not be possible if it wasn't for support from our friends over at Thrive Probiotic. You can find them at thriveprobiotic.com forward slash Luke. If you're tired of feeling gassy and bloated, like how gross is that? But we have to admit sometimes that happens. You might also be taking probiotics and supplements that suck and actually don't work and you're just wasting your money. Well, Just Thrive is the solution, my friends. Their probiotic is the first and only 100% all-natural spore form DNA verified and tested probiotic supplement. As a subject of groundbreaking clinical studies, Just Thrive has demonstrated incomparable effects on the gut and its undeniable connection to the immune system and the brain. What makes these puppies awesome is this. They have 100% survivability, meaning that you take the spore-based probiotics and they actually make it through your GI tract and proliferate and thrive inside you. Hence the name Thrive, get it? They're also vegan, non-GMO, soy-free, dairy-free, sugar-free, salt-free, nut-free, gluten-free, everything free except the stuff that's awesome. They have clinically proven strains for leaky gut and they're also doing nine other ongoing human clinical trials at this very moment. So if you don't want to be bloated and be all gassy and leaky gutty and gross, you want to get on the Thrive Probiotics. Here's how you do it. Go to thriveprobiotic.com forward slash Luke. That's thriveprobiotic.com forward slash Luke. Guess what? We got a discount. Surprise, shocker. The discount's 15% and the code is Luke15. That's thriveprobiotic.com forward slash Luke. The code is Luke15. And uh, I take this stuff every day and it's been fantastic for my digestion and my overall gut health. So I am super stoked on these guys and I'm very excited for you to try it out. That's thriveprobiotic.com forward slash Luke. Man, you have been blessed with some pristine karma, my friend, because you just stumbled across episode 281 of the Lifestylist podcast with David Wolf, surviving censorship, virus fraud, medical tyranny, and the great awakening. David Avocado Wolf is the rock star and Indiana Jones of the superfoods and longevity universe. The world's top CEOs, ambassadors, celebrities, athletes, artists, and the real superheroes of this planet, moms, all look to David for expert advice in health, beauty, herbalism, nutrition, and of course, chocolate. He's also the visionary founder and president of the nonprofit, the Fruit Tree Planting Foundation Charity, which you can find at ftpf.org with a mission to plant 18 billion fruit, nut, and medicinal trees on planet Earth. This is David Wolf's third time on the show. His prior appearances, respectively, were numbers 22 and 128. So make sure and scroll back into the feed and listen to those once we're done here. But in this epic conversation, we discuss in great detail the current crisis and the medical tyranny being played out by Big Pharma and the worldwide medical establishment. 
big tech censorship and how David built his 12 million person following on Facebook. And now he's finding ways to circumvent the mainstream platforms and get his message out uncensored. The nature of viruses and the misinformation being circulated about them. The dangers of vaccines and the dark, dark energy behind Bill Gates. The obviousness of chemtrails and geoengineering. And why so many still experience cognitive dissonance around this hard-to-face fact. The covert 5G rollout plan currently being executed how plant medicines can transform human consciousness and why he grows his own. And finally, how to stay positive, optimistic, blissed out, and affect change for the better, even in the most challenging times. Before we enter the vortex and escape the matrix with David Wolf, I'd like to invite you to join me next week for Big Waves and Fearless Fun, The Psychology of Surf with Garrett McNamara, a world-class big wave surfer. That's a fun conversation, so... Make sure you subscribe to the show so you don't miss it. And if you're interested in checking out the best health and biohacking products in the world, get over to lukestory.com forward slash store, where I've put together a highly curated collection of everything I've ever found in my life to be useful for health and longevity. That's lukestory.com forward slash store, where you will not only find my favorite picks, but also discount codes for most of them as well. It's now time to take a fascinating, inspiring, and sometimes shocking journey with Mr. David Wolf. My hope is that it encourages each listener to do some critical thinking, keep an open mind, and more than anything to do some research in order to arrive at a deeper understanding of the mysterious current events we cover in this chat. Enjoy the show and please, by all means, share it far and wide. Here we are back on the Lifestylist Podcast. David Wolf, what's up, dude? Dude, best day ever. Yeah, isn't it though? <laughs> I, I love that in the face of you know absolute tyranny, some of us are able to drop into a place of like, wow, this is entertaining if nothing else, right? Dude, the deep forest is a lot better than the deep state. Yeah, it is. Where, are you up in Canada right now? Yeah, I'm up. I'm, up, well, I'm in Northern Ontario right now, so... We're out of the deep state. I mean, it's like, it's like small. I'm in a small little town near my house and my friend's um, little operation. She makes bug shirts. So that's like what this stuff is. Oh, cool. So, dude, when the bug season hits here, which is going to happen in like about a month for like six weeks, you can't believe it, man. They're like tunneling. They're like, they'll burrow under your skin. It's intense. Wow. Really? Do those include ticks? Not not very many ticks up here. It's a little too cold for ticks. It's black fly and mosquitoes. Oh. But the black fly, they'll they eat into you. They're gnarly, bro. Yeah, yeah. I remember when I was a kid in Colorado, uh, getting horse flies oh. out in the in the aspen groves, going up through the mountains with my dad. And I mean, it's almost worse than a bee sting because it's like the impact of it. You know, a bee sting kind of hurts, but then it hurts like spread out. It's diffused over the period of 20 minutes or whatever. <laughs> a horse fly gets you. It's like something just took a chunk out of you, like a small dog. It's gnarly. We have them up here. The worst is black fly. Horse flies aren't as abundant. I think it's a little bit too cold for them too. I'd say mosquitoes are the second worst. We don't really have a tick problem up here. So it's every every ecosystem that you're in. There's some good, some bad. You know, it's you can't say one place is better than another. 
Yeah, yeah. So for those listening, I, I want to direct them back to our previous shows. I was looking at the numbers before we got on this call and we did episode 22 back in the beginning of my my journey here, which is like, I'm going on four years doing this podcast now. Uh, and then the last one we did was in my old apartment, which was number 128. So that's 22 and 128 for people that you know want to get more. But I just wanted to take a moment and really thank you for joining me on the show on episode 22 when you know I was just a guy that would come see you talk at the Longevity Now conferences and run into you here and there at Air One. And you know, I really appreciated people like you in the beginning that had such a big name in the health industry that gave me the time of day and were willing to sit down with the show that at that time probably had like 200 listeners where now we're at 4.5 million or something, you know? So, so I honor you and thank you for your contribution early on. I really appreciated that. Dude, that's epic. That's so amazing. Four, four and a half million listeners. Dude, I have to tell you, honestly, I sensed greatness in you. I saw a young Padawan and I, I, perceived a Jedi Knight coming out of that, <laughs> that podcast. Yeah, thanks, dude. Well, I found my Dharma. You know, it's like, this is the shit that I've been into forever and uh, just was sort of caught up in the Hollywood machine and the entertainment industry and all that. And not that there was anything wrong. It was, I had an amazing career, but I don't think it was ever really where my heart was. It was just like, oh, it's better than being an unemployed musician, which is what I was before, you know? So uh, yeah. So anyway, I just wanted to get that out of the way. Uh, first thing I want to start with is let's talk censorship, dude. It It is so out of control now oh. that the, the good... And, and I'll just preface it by saying the good side of it is that I think even somewhat rational, moderate people that aren't into conspiracy theories, don't know what the deep state is, you know, don't believe in flat earth or that we didn't land on the moon or Bigfoot or chemtrails or whatever, they're, <laughs> they're even wait, what the fuck? This is becoming very authoritarian. And I'm just going to say, I called it when they, when they, all the tech platforms converged at once and deplatformed Alex Jones. That's when I knew when no one stood up for that guy, even conservatives were like, Oh, we're not saying anything. That guy's weird. You know whether I knew what whether or not people agree with him or his perspective or the way he delivers his content uh, or not. Even if I hated that guy, I would have been fighting for his freedom of speech and freedom of press. And I thought it was really pathetic that people stood down and allowed that to happen because they went after the most controversial, most fringe guy first as the first domino. And then you were really the second guy that I saw, and maybe Mercola too, in the health and wellness industry getting hammered in the same way. And I was just going, dude, people, <laughs> if you don't start standing up for this, and now here we are where like, you know, a soccer mom in Wisconsin that poses the question, hey, do you guys think vaccines are safe? Have they been tested? On Facebook gets deplatformed or at least that post deleted. It's just complete authoritarian nightmare Orwellian zone now. So take us down the journey of like your brand and your voice specifically and when you started to get shut down and why and how has that evolved to where you are now? I've always handled all my own social media by myself most of the time over the years. And my goal always has been to you know, eventually master it. Eventually I figured out and master it. And then uh, that led to massive breakthrough success with Facebook, as you know. You know, I got to over 12 and a half million followers and, and cracked their code. I mean, I cracked it all the way, just basically myself and two other people that I hired on 
Um, we cracked it all the way and, and we, we crushed it on that platform for a couple of years. And then they're like, that's enough. And basically what they did is they, they realized it's kind of like what happened to Ross Perot. You know, you, may, you might remember Ross Perot was very famous for selling, I think it was IBM back in the day. And that's how he made his money. Initially, he was a salesman for IBM and he was their best salesman. And then a bunch of the executives at IBM are like, this guy's making too much money as our salesman. He's our salesman. Why should he make the money? Let's, let, let's, cut, his, let's cut his pay. And Ross Perot's like, what the hell are you talking about? I'll cut you. And, and he cut them off and he started his own thing. And th- that's basically kind of what they did to me on Facebook. They saw that I was too powerful on their own platform. And like, look at this guy. This is too much. We can't have this. This guy's doing too much on our platform. He's more powerful than we are. We were more powerful. I mean, I could show you numbers that are so outrageous, like 1.75, 1.76 billion hits on my videos in one month. Whoa. Crazy numbers. Like nobody knows. I'll show you the numbers. I, I got those numbers. Um, and what they as soon as we started hitting those numbers where it was beyond anything CNN, Facebook itself could do, um, anything that any of the news networks could do, any of them all combined, they're like, we have to stop this guy. And that's when it started, when it, when it started hitting those kind of numbers. And that was probably the beginning of 2017 when there started to be a concerted troll effort, bot effort, Facebook effort, fill in the blank effort to troll me to death. I would have three people on security at all times in every post. I would have um, you know 40,000 attacks on my websites to hack me down. 40,000. What the? Yes. Yeah, people have no idea what we're up against. It, it, when, you know, when I say deep state, I don't know what that means. And I know how many of those accounts were real and how many were fake. Basically, what we're dealing with with, with trolling is that the reason why people get so disturbed about, you name it, Bigfoot, chemtrails, viruses, you name we fill in the blank, is because it violates their religious beliefs. And so what happened in our education, you know, we're about the same age, is we were defaulted into scientism. So we went from one extreme, one radical religious extreme, to another radical religious extreme, which is you came from an ape, you're a monkey, um, it, medicine's going to save us, the, the um, science knows every answer to every problem, the next technology is the best thing ever. You know, all of this, we came from the Big Bang. It's all religious stuff, right? It's like, here's where you came from, here's where you're going, here's what happened before you were alive, here's what happened after you're dead, here's your religion. But we didn't. We don't identify it as a religion. And as soon as I throw it back at these people, go, you're a religious fanatic. They can't handle it, bro. They cannot handle it. So about thirty percent, maybe a third of that group is real, and they're scientism fanatics. That's the religion of scientism, which is basically the fake religion of like the next injection is going to save you. We came from the Big Bang. You were a monkey. Now you're a human. The theory of evolution. The whole, all of it. Right, it's all been proven. We proved everything, but then, meanwhile, you go, "Hey, what about this?" They go, "No, no, no, that's been debunked. We can't look at it. It's religious fanaticism." So, what they did is they just to reiterate this point, they flipped us from one religious fanaticism to another. Humanity's never escaped religious fundamentalism, not even close. Okay, so then about sixty percent of it was fake, you know, fake bot attacks, and I knew that because I would see, like, on Twitter, you know, I got so trolled on Twitter. I was dealing with blocking and deleting three people a minute for three straight days, 72 hours straight. Straight, bro. Meaning I would wake up in the middle of the night, block, delete, 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 all night long for three days. 
Then another thing would come around a few weeks later, and then block delete, block delete, block delete, block delete on, on Twitter or Facebook or any of them. And eventually what they did is they blocked any way that I could monetize that platform, get a message out, do anything with that platform, make it even useful to people. So what they what Facebook really did is they took their 200,000 best creators and they destroyed them. The interesting thing about that whole phenomenon, and thanks for giving me the timestamp perspective too, because now that I think about it, this was happening before the the kind of conservative purge of the Alex Jones, you know, crew and all those people that got simultaneously deplatformed. And I'll add payment processors like PayPal and and regular. I, that happened to me. I got I got deplatformed off payment processors. I got deleted off YouTube. No strikes. No anything. No problem for ten years. They just deleted my account one day. No, for no reason. They said you did a video on CBD. We're deleting you. Um, so this three strikes thing, all this BS, it's all BS. It's all just a scam. Well, the, um, Pinterest did the same to me as well. They just deleted me for no reason. The crazy thing about this is it's not okay. Like I would say, in the realm of health and wellness, you're pretty fringe. I mean, you talk about some crazy shit that you know. Hey, let's question <laughs> every land on the moon or whatever. I don't even. I don't find anything shocking, so it's not weird to me. To me, I'm more curious, like, whoa, I, I never actually thought of that, this Bigfoot thing or whatever the fuck, you know? But the, the crazy thing about this that people need to realize is that when someone like you gets deplatformed, it's like, you have to look at what harm you're actually doing. Are you telling someone how to 3D print a gun and giving them a battle plan to go out and hurt people? You know, no. Are you teaching people how to hide a knife and get into a library or a school? You know, it's like, what are you doing that is potentially going to ensue in anyone being harmed in any way? And even from the scientism or medical standpoint, what is someone going to like overdose on colloidal silver or spirulina or it's like, what the fuck are people so afraid of? And I think then it begins to. Um, it's they're afraid that very specifically the answer to that that I had to come to and it was a very great revelation is they're afraid of their religious beliefs being overturned so it's exactly what you don't think it is which is people go no no no, we're scientific now we're secular no they're not they're religious fanatics any evidence that opposes their materialistic mechanistic scientismic thinking is oh it's debunked oh that was snope said no oh no that's just some conspiracy theory it's just it's so silly i mean it's just it got to the point of just total it, that's where we are now it's just gong show <laughs> totally so uh okay where do i want to go with this there's there, there's so many places to go so when it starts to affect your ability to monetize as a personality or a brand and your payment processors are being taken down, you can't do Google ads, your Facebook ads are being you know, hidden or you don't have the ability to have an ads manager account and you know, drive traffic to your site or whatever. Uh, I think that's where it gets... The suppression of information is one thing and that's terrifying because if we look throughout history... Any authoritarian government, the overreach usually starts with shutting down free speech and the press, right? And, you know, jailing intellectuals, et cetera, people that think outside of the box, free thinkers. But when you start removing someone's ability to eat and buy and engage in commerce based on the premise that you don't like their opinion about, you know, the prevailing ideas on how cancer is caused and what might 
help to ameliorate it, that gets really scary because then that leads us eventually into what people like David Icke were talking about 30 years ago when people called him nuts is the microchipping, the forced vaccines, you know, you a cashless society. This stuff used to sound like science fiction. And now we see this totalitarian tiptoe moving into where that's just being normalized through this predictive programming or through the media, through movies, through TV, through books, through the common kind of cultural narrative that it's normal for us to be shutting people down because we don't agree with them. Not only their point of view, but their ability to run a business and operate in the world. It's just craziness. I agree. I mean, what we're, what we're dealing with, again, is fanaticism. It's, it's uh, very unscientific thinking, actually. What, you know, one of these directors of the CIA was, said something that like, as soon as the American people believe that everything that they think is real is false and everything that is false is real, then we will have succeeded with our job. It, we're headed towards a total inversion where everything that the system says is good, great, best thing ever, is exactly and precisely the opposite of the truth. Yeah. That's what's happening, right? And it's fascinating. I mean, that's a fascinating thing right there. But there are still people out there who are actually scientific, who maintain that scientific spirit within and are not fanatics, who are not caught up in scientism, who are not caught up in this is the only way to look at this problem. And they continue the scientific inquiry, which, you know, it's like, I love this meme that shows a light bulb being dragged up to a noose in a crowd of candles. It's like that. The human race has never escaped the fanaticism and the fundamentalism, which is a fundamental deception of our civilization. Because our, what we're telling people is, "Oh no, we're scientific, we're secular now. We got we're 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 getting everything sorted out," which is always a fraud. You can never become totally scientific because the scientific investigation is dealing with probability fields and percentages. It's quantum, it's quantum physics, right? We're always trying to lock in on the best probability of success. All the fake spaced out program stuff is not situation nominal. We've got this perfect. And they do that on purpose because they want everybody to think that science is perfect, which is totally goes against quantum physics and the discoveries of the, of the 20th century, really that, that the, specificity of Euclidean geometry is incorrect. Right. And and how about just the fact that is a fact, speaking of science, that the observation of a phenomenon affects the outcome of that phenomenon, right? So it's like, they're, they're, you know, when people say the science is settled, that's been debunked. True science can never be settled because it's always perpetually in development and in evolution and in motion. So the, the very, well said. very idea that something is fixed forever, that it's finite and it's now been proven or disproven is ludicrous to any free thinking, relatively intelligent person. You know, <laughs> Let's get into Rudolf Steiner on that one, because what we are under and what Rudolf Steiner warned us of, he was the greatest philosopher of the 20th century, in my opinion, and one of the greatest minds to ever live on earth. Um, Rudolf Steiner warned us of the aramonic deception, and there's certain qualities of the aramonic deception. And one of them is that stuff is like certain, that stuff is settled, or it's been sedimentized or cemented in, or it's fixed, 
right? This is, once you start hearing that language, you go, oh, that's the deception they're trying to push on us. Because nothing is sediment, set in stone, fixed forever. There's going to be an evolution of ideas. There's going to be a deeper investigation that reveals more complexity. There's going to be a deeper investigation that's going to reveal that what we thought was this little simple thing, like the microbiome, is much more complicated as soon as we include the microbiome. What's the right in those? Okay, so the microbiome is your friendly bacteria that live on and within you. They live on the surface of your lungs. They live in your oral cavity. They live all around your body. Actually, the most the most bizarre microbiome on your body is actually underneath your fingernails. But that's not the whole picture of the organisms or quasi-organisms or substances that live with us that are not us. There's also viruses in the microbiome. So... Uh Right, this is the microbiome and its interaction with the microbiome is hardly known. It's very, very rudimentary. For example, like Dr. Shiva talks about, hey, we've got 80,000 studies on vitamin D3 and its effect on the immune system. Why don't we focus there when we're dealing with this kind of contagion, whatever the contagion is that we're dealing with right now? Instead of that, we go to a thing we know nothing about, which is the microbiome, and we start injecting people with stuff we know nothing about the long-term effects of. And so we're going to this very, very dubious, very uncertain, very much guesswork type of scientism because we're trying to get people to believe that we know something rather than focusing on the things that we actually have really, really good probability data about. In terms of the what I perceive to be cognitive dissonance, in the followers of this scientism. So you have kind of the, the power structure at top that's dictating to the little people like us what ultimate truth is objectively. And then you have the followers of that that are so indoctrinated into big brother group think that that's their sense of reality and security. And when that is disrupted and a counter idea is brought into the narrative, it's like a Stockholm syndrome sort of reaction where you just see people's heads exploding that, no, but this is what I believe to be true. And this is the framework or scaffolding that I've built my understanding of the universe on. And when that's disrupted, causes people to become so volatile and so confused because we're sort of ripping at the fabric of their perceived reality. Do you think that the popularity of and proliferation worldwide, as I'm seeing it now, of plant medicines and the thoughtful clinical use of psychedelics is going to and has been aiding in the awakening on the other side of that cognitive dissonance and denial of alternate perceptions of reality. I love with that question. You know, I, I, I've been a grower of these plants for 20 years. I know them inside out. I've grown them all for years and years and years. So I listened to what Terrence McKenna taught me, which is the plant your guru, grow the plants, figure it out from there. And so that's what I'm coming, that's my perspective. Now, what my, my, my position on this is, is that, you know, in the old days, it was like, no, you can't actually get the energy from the thing from growing it. But all these years later, I'm going to hear, I'm here to tell you, you absolutely can. You can definitely get much from growing it. 
And and that's actually where I'm at with many of these plants. I don't need to ingest them anymore. I just growing them is enough. I get enough from that experience that it takes me there. But the main thing that these plants are doing for us is they are breaking down barriers of understanding. They're breaking down limited thought forms and they are absolutely disturbing the materialism. Because what they're showing us is that we live in a realm of spirit and soul first and matter second and energy is primary before matter. And it's not just an idea anymore. It becomes visceral. It becomes something you know. So from my experience of taking magic mushrooms or peyote or San Pedro cactus or ayahuasca over the years or tobacco... It's I, I live in a magical reality. I, I'm out of that that armonic deception. Now, people who are in the armonic deception, who are bought into scientism and their mechanistic thinking and materialism, an ayahuasca journey will absolutely disturb and overturn their materialism. And for that reason, it's man, is that good news? Wow, is that good news? But because you're dealing with a religious conviction, it can be very disturbing to people. Now, people are like, what do you mean? My, I'm, I'm an atheist. Well, I'm not religious. Oh, absolutely, you are. Whatever you believe is above you or below you, whatever you believe happened before you were born and after you die, however you believe you came from, whatever your creation story is, that's your religion. Whether it's nihilistic or whatever you want to call it, that's your religion. And so people are trying to default us into some kind of nihilistic religion. It's like, no, thanks. We're in the magical reality. Go kill yourself with your nihilism, but we're having the best day ever. <laughs> I love you, dude. We got- <laughs> more often seriously <laughs> the interesting thing about uh, that statement is and I, and I want to go further into that is that I I've come to the understanding that there there actually doesn't exist such a thing as an atheist because when you look at any human being uh, even one whose system is denial of nature denial of God denial of love denial of universal consciousness denial of quantum physics, and it's just completely in the material, pragmatic, as you say, scientism point of view, their God is the understanding that they've built about the way things work. So it's like they might not worship a deity or theology or any sort of system of of, of religion or spirituality, but they believe as fervently in their own intellectual construct that that is their God. And, and they, they believe more fervently than we do because we've investigated enough to not be sure. Right. Right. We're, you, right. So we're still in a state of just awe. Oh, okay. It could be this, could be that. Great. Cool. It could be any of these things. But they're certain. That's the fundamentalism. Right. Right. And see, that's a, and this is an aberration of consciousness. Probably my feeling is it's probably related to there being young souls. They haven't had many incarnations. So they're easily distracted and foisted into these um, phony fundamentalist religions like scientism. And so it's, and, and 300 years ago would be Salem witch trials. You know, these witches are doing things with herbs, burn them at the stake. It would have been the same thing. Even though they say they're against that, they're absolutely for that. Right? They're going to burn Alex Jones at the stake. They're going to burn Trump at the stake. They're going to burn David Wolf at the stake. And it'll be you next. One of the things, by the way, about this deplatforming and, and the hate that goes on is these people say they're against hate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, that, right? The people are like against Trump. We're against Trump. He's, he's a racist 
whatever whatever their trip is it's like dude you're good they're pretty soon whoever trump you know here today gone tomorrow it'll be trump today it'll be someone else tomorrow if you're that much into hate you need to have some counseling about your hate yeah or go take ayahuasca (laughs) something yeah i think that's something that became really apparent to me culturally and i've never been that politically savvy interested it's kind of just you know one president comes it's 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 a different mask on the same face you know it's like i think there's it seems to be people that choose our leaders uh and it's not chosen by the people it's chosen by someone above and beyond the people uh the top of the pyramid i guess one could say but one thing that i really noticed was this phenomenon during and after the last election, speaking of like Stockholm syndrome, you know, the entire country kind of went into a Stockholm syndrome, or at least half the country that didn't get what they wanted. And I didn't really know enough about all of it to have an opinion. But when that happened, I was really astonished by that phenomenon you describe, where there's this hate culture that is fundamentally based on hating people that hate people. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, but, but we... It's like people, yeah, you're gone it, man. It's like people who want to control the control. Yeah, it's really, really strange because I guess it's just, as you said, it's... um, And I'm not, I'm not trying to speak about this from some high-minded point of view. I mean, I have my moments where I hate stuff and get angry and think I'm right and I'm not eventually and, and all that, you know, with the utmost... As much humility as I can muster, you know, with my own shortcomings, and I have many, uh, is that it was just really strange for me to see not only that phenomenon, but also kind of the inversion of liberalism and conservatism, where, you know, you have organizations like Antifa that are on paper liberal or left leaning, but are actually more fascist than, you know, the mom and pop Trump supporters they're going to beat up with like bike locks at a rally or something, you know, it's like you see the violence and the oppression and the censorship and the hate coming from what was once the side that I thought I was kind of on and was raised with equal rights for all. And, you know, the idea of unconditional love and personal freedom, and I guess more of a libertarian kind of liberalism. And now it's sort of inverted where I don't even, I'm like, wait, what am I? Because like, whatever that side of it is, the the real hate field and the, you know, condoning violence against people you don't agree with and deplatforming people that you don't agree with, like, I'm definitely not with that. So what is, does that make me like a Republican now? Or I, I don't think so. We, we, we call them the demon craps and the reptilians. <laughs> the demon craps. <laughs> It'd be very, very aptly stated. It's just, it's so the corruption of both, parties in America and they're opposames. You know, that was a great term from the old David Icke books way back when was opposames. Right. Um, they're opposames. You, you go too much that way, you're going to end up in concentration camps. You go too much that way, you're going to end up in concentration camps and tyranny. And it's just the same thing on both sides. So we have to actually, I think you brought up the word, it's a very good word, which is liberty. So we're actually, our party is the Liberty Party. And that is equal for all. Like we, We're trying to help everybody out. Let's give everybody a leg up. Let's, let's see what we can do. Instead of spending all this time hating, supporting banking interests, supporting the... You, gold, we called it Golden Sachs. You know, without the military and Golden Sachs, um, there is no Trump. Without, the, without George Soros, there's no um, 
Nancy Pelosi. You know, these are all just front people for other forces that are behind them, but neither side is what we want. Right. Well, I think that's the big lesson coming out of the cognitive dissonance that so many people experience is having their worldview disrupted by such a a random strange character becoming elected in this country is that it's like that dude is not the problem. Why aren't we looking at why that dude was the best choice we had? You know what I mean? Like, look at the... And and versus Hillary Clinton. No, I know. I mean, that's right. It's like, whoa. I know I'm an investigator, as you know, of the paranormal, the unusual, the impossible, the synchronistic, the strange, um, because that's where the action is. The border, the edge of our perception is where interesting stuff is happening, because what's in the media uh, immediately in our perception is not interesting after a while. You know, I so I'm going for the edge. And so I followed her career for a long time when Bill was president. In fact, I followed her movements very closely. And uh, I know she's involved in evil. I know for a fact, I've got so much evidence on her. It's not even funny. And, um, and it's like, how in the world does she get to that point? And then she's going up against Trump. And it's just like, these are our choices. This is where we've come to. It's just, it's amazing to me. It's absolutely astounding. But I tell, I will say this, the next time a Trump person comes around, that person will actually be all the way, like one of us who actually be all the way into liberty, all the way. Meaning like, no, 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 no. We're not going down the track of changing our story when we actually get into office or this, that, or the other thing. Because that's what ends up, you know, like it's just endless how much this happens. But the next time we get one of our people in there, it's not going to be a Trump. It's going to be someone who actually knows what the hell to do um, and is not going to fall in with the 5G and is not going to fall in with the scientism, is not going to fall in with vaccine agenda, is not going to fall in with the next curtailing of your rights, is not going to fall in with the government tracking your movements, is not going to fall in with more communist China and America, etc. Back to the plant medicine uh, tip (laughs) and the the I think there's two kind of converging trends now that are very positive when it comes to awakening. One is the the availability and the acceptability of the shamanic indigenous plant medicine path, right? I mean, I myself have been to two very legitimate legal retreat centers in Costa Rica to do ayahuasca, very much on the up and up, very safe, very clean, very conscious, just amazing, right? And it was so easily accessible. And to the fact that when, you know, the first one I went to, Rhythmia, I mean, there were, there were, there were old ladies there in their eighties that like their 40 year old daughter brought them there. They never even had a beer in their whole life. And now they're drinking two huge cups of ayahuasca, you know, going out into the universe and exploring the ET land, you know, it's like, and they're not even batting an eye. They're like, this is amazing. I've been looking for this my whole life. So you have that side of it, but then more within the system. And I think these are kind of the open-minded fringe dwellers in the system is the clinical psychedelic emergence. So, you know, we know in the history of LSD and even MDMA, right, that the original uses of that were more sacramental and were used in the context of working with the psychotherapist or analyst in order to uncover in a Jungian sense, you know, um, the, the roots of what might be troubling you, right? And expanding consciousness. And even I always, you know, talk about the founder of Alcoholics Anonymous, Bill Wilson, did a lot of experimentation with LSD along with Aldous Huxley and so many people of that era. And these are people that are very sort of straight-laced folks, right? Um, and then that all got squashed for a long, long time. And then, you know, the war on drugs and all this kind of stuff. And now you have 
psilocybin popping up in, in its level of legality, the, the cannabis plant, which I, I don't know, for me, hasn't really had a lot of uses in terms of consciousness, but uh, there's so much going on with ketamine therapy now, psilocybin therapy, MDMA therapy. And the thing I find strange about this is that the powers that be now that want to oppress uh, open consciousness and keep us in these boxes and keep the division, I find it strange that the laws are loosening up and that these substances are now more prevalent and more available and and culturally acceptable than ever. Like, why aren't the powers that be that are censoring us on social media, why aren't they shutting down the ayahuasca centers and stopping people from, you know, collecting peyote and, you know, uh, chemists making MDMA and people growing mushrooms? It's like, the laws are getting looser, which I find to be so strange and encouraging and wonderful at the same time, because I really do think that's part of the global awakening. But have you, have you thought about why that's just kind of running rampant and no one's kind of, you know, clamping down on that? That's, I, I've thought about that extensively over the years. I've talked to people like Dennis McKenna about it. I've gone to many conferences in that regard. I talked to Sasha Shulgin extensively about that many years ago in Oaxaca, Mexico. We were at a conference down there together. And um, I think what's happening is there is an awakening happening. That's why we're seeing this move towards draconian measures is because people are waking up and they can no longer keep the lid on cannabis or keep the lid on MDMA or on magic mushrooms because it just becomes, it's, it's too much trouble. It's too difficult to keep the lid on anymore. There's too, the, the jails are too full. The court systems are too backed up. The will and desire is not there anymore in the system to keep, to stop. It's like, it's not dangerous enough to the police to enforce. So there, there's an awakening that's happening. I'm very convinced of that. And I will say this about those plants and, and what's very important about them is that I think it's very important for those, those of you who are like, who like me 20 years ago to really advance yourself in growing them yourself and really develop a relationship that way. Because the actual gross nature of having to ingest a substance is much more materialistic than the actual energetic interaction that's going on, which feeds and nourishes you at a, at a better level. I have to say, I'm going to tell you honestly, that's been my experience. Let me tell you what happened on Christmas Eve this last 2019. Um, I don't drink ayahuasca very often, but I do grow it. and I've grown it for many, many years. I, I have many... People don't know that about me. I have unbelievable um, knowledge of growing ayahuasca and... and that's a whole story. So this one particular ayahuasca that's up in the jungle behind my house, and it's not on my property, but it's out in the jungle, is uh, is just a love. You know, this thing's gotten it's a beast. It's like 12, 13 years old. And and the night, the very night after 12, 13 years growing this thing, the very night on Christmas Eve, a friend of mine is like, come on, let's just drink some ayahuasca. And I was like, okay, we'll do it tonight. I'm not an ayahuasca, but it's just friends and families, maybe five or six of us. We'll sit around, we'll do a prayer meditation and, and I'll hold the space for us to do this. And, um, and so we drank the medicine and about... One, or one o'clock in the morning, I was like, come on, you guys, let's get up and let's go outside and we'll, we'll sit, or, sit around and smoke a cigar and, and, uh, you know, and talk you know, about our experiences. These guys were still pretty far out there. I wasn't, but they were pretty far out there. And so there was a windstorm, like something fierce. 
I mean, something fierce, like tornado level going on for like an hour. And we're out on the balcony and it's right there next to us. It's like being in a tornado kind of experience. And there was a snap, crackle, pop about an hour into that. And, and uh, I was like, did you guys hear that? What was that? There's kind of like, they're sitting there kind of still deep in the experience. The next chance we had to go up on top of the hill, that very night that we drank that, which is like once a year for me, that tree with the ayahuasca on it was ripped right out of the ground and thrown. I got, I got it on video. I'm doing a video on it. <laughs> now, just the consciousness of that happening on that night and that that could even occur on that night, anything like that, you know, more, this is more evidence to me. I'm like, first of all, I'm not supposed to be serving up this medicine. Second of all, I'm good with just I'll just grow and feel the vibes. And, you know, I eat, I eat a lot of the tips of ayahuasca, the growth tips. If I'm out working in the yard, I'll eat a lot of growth tips. And you don't get it, you know, you get, it's food. It's not really a psychoactive thing, but it's, you know, it's an interaction that you have with it as a food. And, um, and that's where I'm at with it. But that's how hyper synchronistic these substances really are and how powerful they are just to have around you. They're an intelligence. They are one of the great... What an incredible time that we live in, that we can have these great intelligences around us, growing around us. That to me is amazing. Yeah, that, that, that's an incredible story. And uh, yeah, that's funny because I, for, I forgot that you you have a green thumb, you know, and grow all kinds of, you know, grow the cacao and, and the vanilla bean. And thing, I think things that are also really hard to grow too. So you... You must really have a deep relationship with all of the plants that you that you work with in that capacity. Because, dude, I've tried to grow carrots and I can't do it. You know what I mean? Like, it's 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 a skill that is not easily acquired for some of us. Um, and and I think on in terms of like that question I asked earlier as to why this you know the use of these medicines and psychedelics is becoming so pervasive and why it's slipping through the cracks and when you were describing that it's sort of like, you know, the genie's out of the bottle and the powers that be can't really control it at this point, something came to mind too, that these substances aren't, for the for the most part, aren't addictive. You know what I mean? Like I've never taken psilocybin in a, in a healthy dose and the next morning be like, do I have any left? I need to take more of that. Like that's just never going to happen, you know? Yeah. <laughs> They command respect is what I think what you're trying to drive at. And um, that, and that is a lovely quality of the sacred medicines. They command respect. And this is one of the reasons why I am a tobacco grower and why I, I grow my own tobaccos. Because as soon as you get it in that chemicalized form and rolled up in with burn agents into a cigarette and potassium nitrate and all this 4,000 chemicals and all this other stuff... That's not real. That's not the real thing. And so long ago, 15, 20 years ago, ayahuasca told me like, you're going to get into tobacco. You're going to grow tobacco. You're going to grow the world's best tobacco. And I was like, tobacco? What are you talking about? What? But over the years, I have ayahuasca taught me how to do it. And it's interesting. You, you find out that even tobacco, it, you cannot abuse it when you grow it yourself. It's just impossible. It commands respect. So even something was oh, so, so addictive, only those cigarettes are addictive. Um, you, can't, you can't get into that kind of disruption with natural substances in their natural form. It's just not going to be possible. We'll be right back at you after this brief but important announcement. 
As someone who's been into herbs and supplements and whatnot for a long, long time, there's two things that I look for when putting something in my supplement cabinet or representing them on the show. One is, of course, that their products actually work. Like, I want to know that it's doing something beneficial for my health, my mind, etc. The next is, I need to know that they are a clean product and that they have full transparency. In other words, I want to know where the ingredients come from. I want to make sure there's no mold, pesticides, heavy metals, no funk in there. That's why I love our sponsor, Cured Nutrition. You can find them at curednutrition.com. They meet my very specific criteria. They've got two products that I really love. One of them calms you down to just chill, meditate, hang out, relax, sleep. It's called Zen Nighttime Blend. It's got reishi, ashwagandha, magnesium, and CBD. And then their other one wakes you up. It's called Rise Nootropic Blend. And it's a very unique combination of lion's mane, cordyceps, rhodiola, ginseng, and CBD. So that one's more for mental focus, clarity, sustained energy, etc. So we've got two great products here that really work. One kind of lifts you up, one chills you out with no swag stuff in the product. So it's all very clean. But additionally, they have some really creative stuff like canine dog treats and tinctures and salves and a THC-free classic mint oil and all kinds of different herbal blends. So they have a full suite of products. They're really tasty. They work. They're awesome. I'm super stoked to share them with you. So you can find all of these goodies over at curednutrition.com. That's C-U-R-E-D, curednutrition.com. The code over there, because I know you want the code, is, of course, Lifestylist. And that code is going to save you 15% off. Again, that's curednutrition.com. And now, back to the interview. It's interesting, too, when you look at these medicine plants, like take the the coca leaf or the opium poppy, uh, or even something like uh, kratom. It's, I think the the way that they work is also dependent on how they are distilled down, right? I think that's how they're processed. Yeah. I, by the way, I grow all of the above. And um, I told one of the biggest kratom distributors in North America, who's well leave unnamed, I said, send me your best plants and I'll grow them and I'll show you something about that plant that no one will know. So let me tell you some things. This brings up an interesting thing that I think people are interested in, which is things I've learned from growing these plants over the years that people don't know that are fascinating. So for example, with kratom, kratom I found, you know, kratom is like a bush and a tree kind of. So it gets woody and it needs to be out in, in the open environment. It's almost like a hedge. It can become like a hedge. And I haven't, I'm only into kratom. Maybe I've been growing it for maybe two or three years. So that's my newest one into the addition of, of what I'm doing. But with tobacco, I've extensive, I mean, I've grown, I've picked at least in, in the Amazon and all over Peru and all over the deserts of Mexico and southern United States, probably 10 different types of tobaccos that I know and can identify and process and know exactly which ones they are and how, what their properties are. The, of the two major varieties, three, I want to mention three, I want to mention these three. One is the flowering Nicotianas, which I grow a lot of here in my house. That's my main house plant, actually. Um, some tobaccos are grown for their leaves. These are grown for their flowers. And most people are not aware of the flowering Nicotianas, which are tobaccos, but the energy goes into the flower, which is pollinated by a moth and is, is jasmine scented in the evenings because that's when the moths are out. That's when they pollinate it. The other one is that I grow up here is... Um, 
we call it Avalon BC. It came out of a tomb near Thunder Bay, Ontario, the 800 to 1,000 year old seeds. I got those seeds. I was one of 25 people to get those seeds. I've grown those seeds for, this is my 14th year growing that variety. That is my favorite plant of all time I've ever grown by far. The energy and the, the genetics and what, and just what it's shown me over the years, like all these years growing and all of a sudden one year, like, whoa, What's it doing now? I've never seen that in any one of these I've ever grown in all these years. It will just do things that are amazing. And this is a giant leaf rustica tobacco, which is the native tobacco of North America. The Virginia tobaccos, the Caribbean tobaccos were brought to North America. They were not here before the time of the British you know, coming to settle in you know, Virginia. So the round, large leaf, Rustica is my favorite plant of all time, which is much, much stronger than the Virginia tobaccos, you know, with the pointed leaf, which is the Nicotiana tobaccum, which I've grown in Hawaii. I've also grown up here as well, which is a, another big, big love for sure, growing those um, and processing them all the way and learning the processing them all the way and learning that whole system. Ayahuasca, ayahuasca vinus, you know, obviously it's two plants, it's the vine and the leaf. I've grown, grown chacruna for years, 15 years, berries, chacruna berries. You can grow the whole plant from a leaf, the chacruna. Wow. You can just drop a leaf on the ground or plant a leaf and it will grow an entire tree. What? Mm -hmm. That's crazy. Ayahuasca, let me tell you an interesting story about the vine itself. This is, most people don't know this. The ayahuasca is an epiphyte. It doesn't need to ever touch the ground. It can produce and drop on itself its own debris and its own leaves and then root into that up in the upper story of the canopy of the jungle. So it never actually needs to touch the ground. Um, And I had one that was like that. And it it had built up six feet at least, two meters, huge mass of leaves, and then rooted into that. So that's where it got its nutrition from. So when it would rain, it would drip into the system of its own leaves that was up there in the top of a guava tree. And then it was rooted into that like this. It was amazing to see that, bro. I have to tell you, when I finally got that one out of that, we processed that one into actual brew. But toppling that nest of that ayahuasca out of the top of that guava was one of the more interesting experiences of harvesting any plant ever in my life. Um, What's the deal with uh, with kratom? You know, the thing I think when I was getting into like the coca leaf and the opium poppy, and that you know, having chewed coca leaf paste on a couple of occasions. And it's kind of like a nootropic, just nice, not high like Coke or crack or something at all, just real mellow, not addictive, forgot about it, never wanted more, just it was there, then it was gone kind of thing. Um, but the, the interesting thing about those though, is the more that they're refined, the more gnarly and addictive they get, which is why they're so controlled, I think, as having, as I said, been someone who was very addicted to both of those for a long time. Uh, the kratom to me is interesting because it's like people come over, oh, my knee hurts, my back hurts. And I'm like, hey, you know, I don't want to be a pusher here, but I, I have a plant medicine that could help with your pain. It's called kratom. Or as my ex-girlfriend who was from Thailand said, it's not kratom, it's kratom. But uh, we call it kratom. Uh, and I say, but I warn you, I have heard of people becoming addicted to it. And they say, well, you know, is it dangerous? Is it processed, man-made? I'm like, no, it's literally a ground up leaf. Like you take the leaves, grind them up into a powder, eat that, and it kills your pain. Uh, and if you take enough of it, it can be somewhat euphoric and kind of a body high and have a definitely like an opiate kind of feeling to it. But um, <clears throat> I find that that is, that's one that does get attacked a lot uh, by the authorities. And my thought is that 
it's such an effective replacement for pharmaceutical opiates that that one's a threat. Not because it could have some addictive potential, but because it's going to get you off OxyContin. That's totally what it is, bro. That's what's going on. And I know that because I know people at the forefront of battling for freedom to have Kratom as a, as a choice. And we're, we're basically up against the pharmaceutical interest and they don't want a competitor. And this is very, very sad about our whole... And this is one of the reasons why we're getting the scientism and all the other stuff is because it helps the big monopolies sell more of their products. It's, you know, the more that you believe in the scientism, the more you're going to go for their pharmaceuticals and the pill for every ill, their cut, burn, poison theory of medicine, all of it. Um, but let me let me jump back to you know the kratom in terms of its chemistry. About forty five minutes into taking kratom, it does actually break down into tryptamine boosting chemis- chemicals. The mitrogenes break down into um, tryptamine boosting chemicals. So, for example, if you take kratom and then forty five minutes later take magic mushrooms there is an effect that is very unique and special. I was turned on to that by a, a chemist that I work with. And I did do that one time. Actually, at um, I was at a party in London at... Um, it was Sigmund Freud's grandson's house. Strangely enough. <laughs> and uh, that wasn't my only time doing it. I was like, oh, that's interesting. There is something to it. I personally don't like that. Magic mushrooms. I think I overdid them, and and my body has a reaction to it. I think I got everything I needed to from that experience, and I'm good. Um, but once a year, you know, maybe if it's the right thing, like that particular night with my friends, like, dude, do this, and then 45 minutes later, do that. I'll time you. Let's do it because there's this chemical pathway, and he showed me the mitrogene pathway, and it was very interesting. That's so funny, dude. Because last night I was having some back pain, and so I four kratom capsules. And about an hour later, I thought, that's, that's pretty early. I don't have a lot going on tonight. And I was just going to go take a sauna and just kind of relax and wind down. And so I took some mushrooms, maybe like half a gram, if that. And it was very interesting. But I, I realized, having heard that, that the optimal way to do it perhaps would be the other way around. Because I was kind of in like this relaxed, like pain-free little bit of a body high and then took a, you know, a small amount of mushrooms, just went and listened to David Hawkins in the sauna. It was amazing. I had my red light in there and it was epic uh, and very mild, but uh, it definitely was different. And into that experience, maybe two hours later, I was like, God, this feels, these mushrooms feel weird. And I realized, oh shit, I kind of forgot that I'd taken that kratom for my back pain before that. It was a synergistic mix that was unique. Um, so I'm going to keep that in mind. Yeah, there's something there. It's a tryptamine pathway. So there's other, it does work with other tryptamines. And I'll just leave people to their own investigation of that one. Okay. I want to move on now to... Oh, man. And I thought this was going to be more of the conversation, but that's what happens when you allow flow to, to do its thing. Um, in back to the censorship piece, and then I want to get into the current pandemic and viruses and some other things like that. But... Um, what have you found to be the, the most censored topics that you've covered on social media? And also, where are you on, on... Have you been like banned from anything out right now? Or are you just seeing your posts get shadow banned? Like, What are the hot topics that, that you've really got nailed for? And kind of, you know, where do your accounts, accounts stand now? Do you have any problems on Instagram or Twitter? Or you know, what's up with your Facebook, YouTube, etc.? 
Great question. Okay, so I'm completely banned off of Pinterest and I will not open a new account with them. Um, I was banned off of YouTube, which was very disconcerting. Hundreds of videos, 10 years of work. I do have a new account on YouTube, but I don't really... you know, Every now and then I'll go on there and just do a little thing, but I don't really put any material on there because why would I want to get deleted? What I'm doing is I'm with my Facebook, with Instagram, with Twitter, with... Um, um, YouTube is I'm directing people to Telegram Messenger. Yeah, yeah. And and we're there. You, I've talked to you on Telegram Messenger, and I have a page there, David Avocado Wolf on Telegram Messenger. And anybody can find me if you just pay attention to my Instagram. You'll see I'm always putting little links there and sending you there. And you can always, you know, in my bio, click my you know link tree, and you'll see there how to get there. And anyway, that's completely uncensored. So instead of trying to deal with like, are they going to censor me? Are they not? Well, you know, all this other stuff which I dealt with for years. Mostly on the vaccine subject. That was the one that just... Because that's where I've been calling this pandemic all along because I know exactly how addicted people are to their medical scientism and vaccine concepts. They absolutely are bought, and I've known this for 25, 30 years, they are bought in hook, line, and sinker that vaccines are the best thing ever. Medical science is actually doing something good. I came from two medical doctors. I grew up in it, and I'm absolutely here to tell you that medical tyranny and medical scientism is the worst, the most dangerous, the biggest fraud and deception of them all. How do I know that? Because I grew up in hospitals. I grew up with doctor's offices. I've seen it all. I mean, I, you can't, there's nobody's been around it like I have. It's from the day I was born. I used to, I mean, I've got pictures now I've been putting out on my, on my feed of me at like four years old at my dad's office, five years old at my dad's office, three years old at my dad's office, seven years old at my dad's office. You know, my mom and dad worked that office together and I saw crazy stuff. I saw, I remember one time, this guy wrecked his motorcycle. They dragged him in my dad's office because he wasn't going to make it to the hospital. It was 20 miles away. And he had like 300 stitches. My dad stitched him up and, and they couldn't get me out of the room because if he, they couldn't even take their attention off this guy of saving his life to even get me out of the room. So I watched the whole thing. You know, I've seen it all, bro. And I, in that circumstance, you want someone like my dad stitching you back together without question. My dad has done every emergency room surgery and known, and he's the guy for that. But when it comes to age-related um, inflammatory diseases, when it comes to infectious diseases, those have already been solved in entirely different ways than medical scientism. But those are not allowed. For example, Nikola Tesla and his development of the ozone systems that he developed in 1901, which I've used for over 20 years. I've used them in clinical settings for 10 years with Dr. William Hitt down in Tijuana. I work, he's the leading virologist in the world. Put his credentials up against any virologist in the world. He trained with Papilloma. I studied with him. I was right there as his right-hand guy for years. Um, we, I, when it comes to viral diseases, I know what the hell I'm talking about because I've seen it every day. When it comes to the viral connection with cancer, I know what to do. Medical scientism has no idea what to do. So they're going to give you some super experimental quote unquote vaccine, which is not going to be efficacious anyway. And, and then they're going to slip a bunch of other stuff in there too, which, you know, I think people can figure out what that means. And, uh, and they're going to go for their one world, new world order, whatever their trip is. Um, but when it comes to actually helping people, look, imagine what it takes for somebody to get to a clinic in Tijuana. Just think about it. 
And I would see it. People would come in there. They'd be, they'd be, they, they were broke. They were broken. They were financially broke. They were spiritually broke. They were physically broke. They were emotionally broke. They were mentally broken. And they would get to Dr. Hit and they would unload on him. And, and he would just, in his deep gravelly voice, he would say, are you ready to try alternative medicine? After all, <laughs> they just finally they just were exhausted. They would just be like, yes, okay. And we'd send them home eight weeks later, fine. They'd be back to work in 10 weeks, you know, stuff like that. It was just amazing. So I learned about that, which we can get into. Um, and I have a deep, deep passion for medicine because I'm, grow- I'm designed genetic. It's genetic. But the medical scientism model is not the correct model for inflammatory diseases, age-related, and not the correct model for viral or infectious diseases. Um, it's, in fact, made the whole situation worse. So in terms of the censorship, then, do you think moving forward, our solution is going to be more alternative platforms where we all eventually just bail off of these, you know, corporate owned big tech platforms. And there's new things like Telegram and whatnot that come up. And we just kind of have to rebuild our, our communities elsewhere where we're, you know, uh, not, not silenced in the way that we are. That's what I'm doing. That's yep. what I'm doing. No, it's not that I've abandoned Facebook. I still have a Facebook site. I still have an Instagram site and we're watching it right now, um, as do you. But these are portals that bring... If people want to go deeper, if they want to know more, sure, I'll bring them more. They, it, they can go as deep with me as they want to go. They can go all the way in my inner circle and get everything I know. And what I have known, by the way, over these years, you know, I've been at this 26 years as a professional. I spent my entire life inside of medicine is a lot. And I know a lot of strategies. And again, with Dr. Hit, 10 years on and off in that clinic, dealing with terminal cases, dead, left for dead, left for dead every day. Every day someone would be coming in there was left for dead. It wasn't like, oh, it, this month we've got someone who was left for dead. Every day someone was left for dead and we'd be sending them home. And it was amazing what I learned there. So then that's real experience. That's real experience because you know it's not a book. It's like that. I knew those people. I know those people now. I know who made it and who survived there. It's amazing. And what I learned there, it's why I have the approach that I do, but I can't put that approach out on Facebook or Instagram or um, Twitter. Twitter is one of the worst. My God, that's like the colon of the, you know, it's like, geez, we really wanted to get the, like the worst of social media. Twitter is the worst. Yeah, it is. I think people on Twitter are the lowest consciousness because it's, you have the ability to hide the best there. You know, there's not photos of you. You can just make up whatever account and talk shit and be a <laughs> keyboard bully and never actually get your ass called out. But let's jump into this virus piece a bit. I, you know, as someone who is a complete novice in all things medical, whether on the real authentic side or on the fabricated side, I don't even fully understand what a virus is. What I understand is that I have intuition and discernment and common sense, and I've got a heart and a heartbeat. And when I'm being lied to, some of the time, I'm made aware of it. (laughs) And I know beyond the shadow of a doubt that from the moment this thing started, that I was being lied to. Now, what the truth is, is it a virus? Is it a bioweapon? Is there no virus at all? The whole thing's just completely made up. Um, you know, that I don't know if anyone knows other than the people kind of behind it, but there are so many missing pieces here and so many anomalies. This makes 9 11 seem like 
you know, a, a kindergarten puzzle. It's like that was so easy to solve comparatively and the holes in it were so glaring and there was about 10 big holes and you don't know what happened, but you know that, okay, like there's no explaining this. But with this, there's so much conflicting information because you see, you know, you have firsthand, firsthand accounts of people that like work at a hospital and they're being overrun with all these people with COVID. And then you see videos of empty hospitals and people breakdancing and shit in their nurse uniforms. And, you know, you hear of someone dying from it, then you hear of, well, they're changing death certificates so that if someone died in a motorcycle accident, and tested, quote unquote, tested positive for COVID, that's being counted as a COVID death. And it's just, it's just so absolutely crazy that I, I'm having a hard time getting my head around the truth of what's really happening. Um, and that I think the confusion there is so many people have a misunderstanding of the nature of viruses, vaccines, uh, virus testing, the origins of viruses, how they spread, et cetera. So as it stands right now at the time of this recording, which is April 22nd, so things will have developed and evolved by the time this is officially released. But what's your take on the concept of this being an actual virus, the the threat of it? Uh, you know, now we see more people are dying from the flu than they are of this thing. Why why don't we shut down the entire world when people have a flu strain going around? You know, it's just like, it, it makes no sense. And some hey. at the top is full of shit. For sure. So, what's your view on this? You know, as of today. Okay, so let me, let's just jump back to the microbiome, right? So, just as we have a microbiome of bacteria that live on and within us, we also have a microbiome of viruses that are on us and within us that may may or may not be considered alive, but they're genetic material or exosomes that are released by cells that might be healthy or unhealthy. Now, let me let me just lay this out a little bit. There's been a longstanding under there's been a longstanding um, relationship between the microbiome and microbiome. So for example, let's say Epstein-Barr viruses are actually very suppressive of certain bacteria like listeria in mammals. That's what we know. So there isn't, we know there's an interaction between bacteria and viruses, and that may be a positive interaction in the sense of like Epstein-Barr actually is delivering and herpes viruses are delivering some benefits that they are neutralizing numerous bacteria the opposite could also be true. Like with COVID-19, there may be a relationship with, between Prevotella, and it appears there is. Um, Prevotella is a, is, it mostly occupies your oral cavity and to some degree your lungs, which is a bacteria and COVID-19 and that they work synergistically together. So the, the microbiome, microbiome interactions and in the, the understanding of the microbiome in particular is very rudimentary even by the best minds in the world. And I've been studying what's online from the best minds in the world in this area. It's very rudimentary. That's why it's very dangerous to just go, we're jumping to a, a vaccine. Of the six different types of vaccines that could be generated for a coronavirus, none of them will be efficacious, just as the flu virus is not, the flu vaccine is not efficacious because there's just too many variables. It mutates too quickly. There's too too many. If you if you just take somebody's history and you go, you know, okay, they, this is their history up to this point. Then you have the vaccine. Then we go from then on. That's a completely different story than the next person. And we know that from research on mice, when you vaccinate or immunize a, a mouse, their history before the immunization has a very strong effect on what happens after. 
that's just microbiome stuff that's well-known, well-elucidated, and very scientific. So we're not actually going to be able to generate any kind of vaccine that works for this situation. I just I got news for you, just like we were never able to stop the flu with the flu vaccine. So I just wanted to mention that. Um, do we actually have something really here? Is there really Does COVID-19 really exist? So let me explain how we understand viruses. We understand viruses as exosomes or things that are extruded out of cells that are disturbed. Now, we cannot differentiate exosomes from viruses. They, they, as far as we can tell, they're the same thing. Some exosomes are good for you. Just as, as crazy as it sounds, some viruses are good for you. Just like what I was saying, like everybody has herpes viruses. Everybody has hepatitis viruses. Everybody has coronaviruses. Everybody has rhinoviruses. Everybody has um, HIV viruses or, or retroviruses. Um, because that's part of your microbiome. It's when this is Dr. Hitnodge, and I, I have to come from a position of knowledge based on my experience. I can't go beyond my experience and I can't theorize. I'm just going to tell you what I know for sure. Dr. Hit taught me, and this is what we did in his practice for all those years, is that when the microbiome hits a threshold level that is too much for your body to handle, then you're going to start popping out with problems, hepatitis, herpes, what you named coronavirus, whatever it is. And that is going to show up as an elevation in your viral load. That's a key term. Okay, so now we're going to come back to this. The extrusions of what's coming out, the viral material, may not be the whole picture. might be just a part of the picture. The actual contagion in that cell may be something else. Or it could be a pressure from a bacteria like Prevotella that's forcing the cell to do strange things, including extrude viral material. To say that the poop or the exosome or the viral material is being pushed out of the cell is the contagion itself is a stretch. It is a stretch that's never been proven because that, that's never met Koch's postulates. Meaning that you could take that poop that's being pooped out of the cell, say coronavirus material, COVID-19, and then you introduce that into a healthy environment and the cell might go, eh, there's no problem and not be affected by it at all. It's, but then again, if we put too much of it in there, it could affect the cell because basically you're saturating the cell with poop from the other cell. But they might not develop a, a pr the same problem, but they could develop a problem because your waste products of this other cell is being saturated into this environment with the new cell. So that can cause other problems, which all of that is well-known, actually, and well-researched. The actual contagion of polio, herpes, um, hepatitis may be unknown. It may be unknown. I suspect it is. That's my personal position on it. I'm theorizing. I know for sure a weakness of it, though, whatever the actual contagion that's causing the extrusion of exosomes or viruses out of the cell, I, I do know that it's an anaerobic organism because what we did at Dr. Hitz is we used a two-step model. One is we would oxidize the anaerobic um, organisms, basically oxidize the whatever the contagion is that's causing the extrusion of viruses, and that worked. It would eventually drop the viral load down, and the contagion load in the cells would go down, 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 and eventually eight weeks, people were good. The other thing that we did is we used strategies to help the immune system figure out what the actual contagion is. Now, this is another thing about coronavirus that's very important and many other viruses. Their coding changes very quickly, sometimes even every day. And so in, if somebody had a very aggressive cancer and there's a viral component to cancers, and I do want to mention that, and I know that for sure because of my experience with Dr. Hitt, 
that if you are not on top of that viral coding and given the immune system information to break down that coding, and I mean, but like when I mean code, I'm talking lines of code, meaning that it encodes itself to deceive your immune system. If you can dial in your immune system, be able to go, there is the problem. And every day dial it in, your immune system will eventually get on top of the problem. And the way we would do that, I hate to mention it because I've been so trolled on it. It was just so gnarly how trolled I was on this particular issue is urine injections. Oh, yeah. that's funny. We would inject the person with their own urine every day when they were in a very crisis situation. And that would what that does, it closes and tightens the feedback loop because the antibodies of you know the antigens or the antibody response and the antigens would the all that debris shows up in your urine as soon as you re-inject that back in your immune system goes oh this is the problem and dials it in and t- tightens the feedback loop and it was very effective that two-pronged approach and then we do zinc and selenium pushes we do magnesium pushes we do um, b vitamin c vitamin pushes into the person we get them off of the you know the heavy sugar and the, the candida instigating diet and uh, get them in the right mindset and with the ozone and the urine injections and the vitamin and mineral therapies, we were very, very successful over time um, with people. I mean, it was remarkable. It really was. I have to say, I was like, whoa, this is really a learning for me. And, and uh, it was just, it, you know, I would, I would do, you know, like I would go in there and, you know, help patients and stuff. And then I'd do a treatment myself. And sometimes I would get to the, to the, um, what the fruit, fruiteria Hidalgo in, in Tijuana, that's the fruit market. And I would drink coconuts there. You know, my friend, um, oh, what's his name? He was so wonderful. I, I'm missing him. It's been many years since we've seen each other. He would cut coconuts every day there at the market. And I would get into states of like literally ecstatic bliss states of like peak health that were just incredible, truly incredible. Because if you're healthy and you're doing that kind of stuff, it, it takes you into states you, you didn't even know existed. And so this is this has been my experience with this. So in 1901, the type of ozone system that Tesla invented was essentially what Dr. Hit was still using and what I still use today. I have three of them. Um, and I've been using them for decades. They, they don't break. Those machines are work forever because the Tesla system is very well designed and very simple. And you, ha- you need an oxygen tank and you run it through the Tesla system. It strikes an arc on the oxygen, turns it into 03, 04, 05, 06, 07, 08, 09, 010, 011, 012, 013. And then you can pass that through, say, water and then put do that straight in as an enema. Very effective. You could pass that through olive oil and then breathe it in. Extraordinarily effective. In fact, I had a friend who had SARS for three months. He could not kick it. He could not kick the lung infection. This is back in 2003, 2004 when that was happening. And he came over to my office one day and we bubbled the ozone through olive oil and was just like, here, breathe this, breathe this, breathe this, breathe this, breathe that, breathe this. Two hours, he was compl- it was over. That was the end. I don't want to even use the other word because of censorship and you know just maniacs out there who just, they are so stuck on their scientism and having to maniacally inject. Even when I was a kid, me and my friends would be like, why is it that doctors have to maniacally inject everybody with something? What is it about injecting people with stuff? Like what's that trip about, right? Even as little kids, we knew that stuff. Yeah. You know, and I've got people commenting. They're like, my my eleven year olds. They know this is this is BS. So even the strategy to deal with, for example, a couple of days ago, a friend of mine was in Tijuana. He got COVID nineteen or whatever the contagion is, um, because he's in a hospital. There's a lot of problems in Tijuana, by the way, with whatever this contagion is. 
It may not be happening in LA, but it's definitely happening in Tijuana. So he's there helping the doctors every day. And he got whatever's going on in there and it hit his lungs. And he started going, oh, and he started getting hot and cold sweats and all kinds of problems. And he hit 10 drops of coated silver, you know, my coated silver. And, um, and he did massive medicinal mushrooms and just basically rested in 24 hours. He was well. In terms of the ozone, because I've got a generator here and I'm, actually yesterday I just went to the garage with my big industrial oxygen tank and filled up the little tank. Uh, but one thing I've not done, I do the rectal and then I put it in a stethoscope, I put it in my ears and I even will take a huge breath in, hold my breath and then fire it up my nose, You know, obviously without breathing it into my lungs. Listener, beware, do not ever breathe ozone. But I found a way to do it where I don't inhale any. But if I start to get any little sinus infection or any of that shit, it's like, boom, immediately gone, never happens. But one thing I've not done is uh, the the um, olive oil and inhaling it. And I've seen that. I can never figure out what gamma setting to put the machine on to run it through the olive oil. Because right now I run it through water and you know I do like... Are you running off a tank? An oxygen tank? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So uh, what you've got to do is I'd have to just look at, I could, you could show me, is it, do you want to show me? Or is it too, it's okay. Yeah. I could show you what to do. Um, I, I, okay. Like what we're to deal with infectious diseases. We already figured it out a long time ago, bro. That's what's so disturbing about this whole thing. This whole thing of that we're going to have to maniacally inject people with this or that is so antiquated. It's so old school, like defunct, debunked. It's preposterous, ancient. Uh, it, it's, you know, it, it, I, 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 bleeding people was more advanced technology than this nonsense. Um, with the ozone systems and the ability to deal with infectious diseases using like a coated silver plus the immunological power of medicinal mushrooms plus the zinc and the selenium and the magnesium pushes and the vitamin C and the B vitamins. Dude, it's just, I know from experience and I can't, I don't even want to say on social media, it's that I've been trolled that heavily. I've been trolled that heavily. I don't even want to say what my experience is, but it's total, complete, we got it. We got it, no problem. You know, it's not even close to even being an issue, but yet we're being force fed this, this, I don't even, it's like, it's an aberration of consciousness. It's an aberration of technology. It's scientism. It's not science. It's scientism. We're going to force feed you this nonsense because the better technology has to be suppressed so we can make money on our pharmaceutical garbage. Right. I mean, that's the thing with an ozone generator. You spend two or three grand one time, like you said, you've had yours 20 years and all you got to do is buy oxygen. You know what I mean? It's like it's like the cheapest pre- prescription of your entire life. Uh, I'm curious about because I've I've seen you post the uh, the coated silver, and then my friend Elliot, who you know, he um, sent me this thing the other day, and he put some drops in a water, and this substance is like vortexing on its own in the water, like a little magical cloud. I'm going, what the hell? And then. He, he used to be kind of my protege and now he's schooling me on stuff. He's like, yeah, the colloidal silver, no good, dude. No bueno. You don't want that stuff. So I've been making colloidal silver with the silver pulsal for a long time. I don't really drink it, but I do eye drops or like squirt it up my nose periodically if stuff gets weird. But what's the breakdown on like colloidal silver versus this coated silver? I think coated silver is a rediscovery of what ancient alchemists knew. They were probably using egg albumin before, where they were basically particulating the the silver ions and then spraying it into a polysaccharide matrix. 
um, so that the, the problem with all metals and with zinc, the problem with silver, the problem with gold is that it wants to clump to itself. That's why you end up with something like this, right? Is because wires and medallions, things like this, the metal wants to stick to itself. That's a big problem with colloidal silver. It's the biggest problem. So what happens is you take the colloidal silver and it's very good antibiotics, very effective, but as it gets into your system deeper, it clumps in with itself. So it forms pockets of density that when it hits your microbiome, your your friendly bacteria, like, whoa, this is too much in one place. And it can disturb your friendly microbiome. Now I'm a colloidal silver user for over 20 years. So I really know colloidal silver and coated silver. The coated silver discovery is basically you take a nano silver, so you take a finely particulated silver spray and you spray it into a polysaccharide matrix, like a gel, like what would be in medicinal mushrooms or aloe vera. Aloe vera gel is a very good example of it. Then it's in a goo, so it can't get back to itself and clump up. Now that makes it very effective long-term for oral and digestive health. Now I've been using it for those purposes for the last year. And it's interesting because when you spray it, like I brush my teeth with it every day, you, you, can, you still have bacteria in your mouth. It, it, with colloidal silver, I would kill the bacteria in my mouth. I could tell. Um, but this, it doesn't kill the bacteria. It only kills the harmful bacteria. I still have bacteria in my mouth. And it's interesting, the difference now having... Now, there's no way you can't go back once you're on the coated silver. Like it's, it's like you're on a better technology. It's fascinating. It's a really big discovery. But I think it is a rediscovery of an ancient knowledge. Um, and I know a, an alchemist in Europe who... you know He studied with the great alchemists of the 20th century. And I'm thinking of... Uh, what's his name? Bernays. The, the great German alchemist. He was the last great alchemist to live. You know, he's the greatest alchemist of the 20th century. And they, he would use egg albumin to separate and particulate gold so the gold ions couldn't get back to itself because the more particulated the gold is, the more powerful its effect is on you. That's why colloidal gold, eh, but if it's on an albumin matrix or a polysaccharide matrix, good. And that's exactly what's going on here with the silver is oh, on a polysaccharide. That's cool. I'm going to try some of that because the, the other thing about... Um, just drinking colloidal silver that's always been a little off to me is taking a lot of it that then you're having more metals in you and that brings us into EMFs and 5G. <laughs> now, when I when I interviewed Jack Cruz, who's yeah, I think one of the, the biggest opponents of RF radiation in our environment and someone that first guy that really tuned me into the millimeter wave element of the the oncoming 5G that they're you know planning to roll out or maybe have in some places is he was like dude you're insane to wear earrings you shouldn't wear any jewelry uh, you shouldn't wear sunglasses well you shouldn't wear sunglasses because you want the natural spectrum of light but even sunglasses or, or reading glasses that have metal in them he's like you don't want metal anywhere in or on your body because it makes you an antenna. And I didn't listen to him. You know, I still have my earrings on. I said, oh, whatever. But he's like, you're creating an arc of two antennae on either side of your brain. So every time you're near, you know, RF, it's being attracted to your head. And that that was his theory. And I, you know, as I said, I haven't complied. But the idea of like drinking a bunch of colloidal silver and making myself more of an antenna just felt kind of weird. Do you do you have any thoughts on that side of it? Yes, for sure. But I, I should say this: I did create a little link for you. Oh. Um, for your people. So I want to, I think it's Luke 2020. In fact, it's L U K E 2020, all capital L U K E all capital 2020 for if anybody wants coated silver. Um, and then you get the, the discount there and it's at shop.davidwolf.com. 
Cool. We'll put it in the show notes, dude. And yeah. So I, I did that for you for this because I think you asked somewhere along the way. And I was like, well, I'll do that. Okay. So I set that up. Um, anyway, the this my thoughts on that. I did... Years ago, I had hair mineral analysis and they found that I had three times the silver of a normal person. And I went to their top... And these are some really amazing scientists. I went to their top people. I was like, is that in any way dangerous? Is, do you have any evidence that's, that's dangerous? And they're like, you know what? Actually, we cannot say emphatically that that is dangerous. Um, but you do have three times in silver of a normal person. It's probably because of all the years of doing colloidal silver, which again, I don't do now. I do coated silver. But anyway, the, um, and it's, by the way, it's coated like you wear a coat. Um, just so people get that, that nuance. Anyway, is it possible that large amounts of, of any metal in our body could be interacting with electromagnetic fields in, in our environment? The answer is yes. But I would say this caveat. Silver is the queen. Gold is the king. Um, the princess is copper. Um, tin is the is the um, jack. You know the lead is is Saturn. You know these are actually sacred metals, and because silver is so high on the list, it's number two, right? It's right behind gold. It does have sacred qualities, and we can't just throw it under the bus and just say, oh, you know, it's interacting with EMF fields in your body the same way that aluminum is. Um, I know for sure from people who who create high. Um, you you would know this. You're an audio buff. Um, I have a friend who makes his entire audio systems. They're like $10,000 a unit. That's all made out of gold and silver. That's it. Those are the only metals used. Yeah. And what that's high fidelity. That's the word I'm looking for. High fidelity. Right. You can't get that kind of high fidelity with copper. You can't get that high fidelity with aluminum. You can't get that high fidelity with other, you know, nickel, lead, iron, et cetera. Um, so something needs to be said about the sacredness of silver in the mix of all this, because there's many things we don't understand, but I will put a little bit of a bet on the sacredness of silver before I run off and say, you know, that having silver in your body is dangerous because I have had very high amounts of silver in my body and it's never had a negative effect on me. Yeah, that's, that's interesting. I think perhaps also when you're dealing with this coated silver too, it doesn't sound like it's going to bioaccumulate because it doesn't have, it loses its ability to then kind of glom together and hang out and stick around for any considerable period of time too. It feels good. You know, that's the thing too. When I spray it in my mouth, I'm like every day, it's fascinating. It's like, whoa, this is not killing off my friend. I know it's not killing off my microbiome because you can tell it doesn't, you know, you still have bacteria in your mouth, um, but it, it is good. I'm like going, whoa, this is like, okay, you got a little bit. I have, I was doing a lot of uh, durian chips you know, the dried durian. And it irritated a spot up here, man, because it was just too much sugar. And I just kept going. As soon as I went on the water fast and was doing that, that was it. It was gone. So uh, wrapping up the, the virus piece then, do you get the sense that there is something going around that is new and wasn't here before and that it does have, does warrant some degree of concern? Um, to, okay, great question. The answer is to people who are elderly or immunocompromised, yes, there is some degree of concern. People who are hospitalized right now, there is some degree of concern. For healthy people like you and I, we could potentially get it, but defeat it very quickly as my friend did in 24-hour period. I have another friend who's not healthy at all. You know, He lives in New York City. He definitely has whatever this is, he's got it and he's, he's surviving. You know, he, he, he's not onto our stuff and he's still making it. Um, 
So that just shows you that it's not nearly as dangerous as it was made out to be by the media. So let me tell you a couple of things that have crossed my mind and that I do have some evidence of. Is it something that escaped, escaped from a, uh, the wet market? I highly doubt it. Um, it looks to me like there was at least three different or maybe four different um, fractions of whatever this contagion is that have been released in four different areas, one in California, one in Italy, one in Iran, and one in China. Um, they could all be related, but slightly different from each other. And they could have a related you know, genome, essentially, or at least the extrusion products of whatever the contagion is. Is it possible that this thing could be dangerous uh, in and upon itself without Prevotella? Probably not. Probably not. You probably need that bacteria to actually kill somebody. You're going to need that bacteria present and, and the whole microbiome of that person and the microbiome of that person has to be wildly out of balance. Is it possible that we're getting you know false numbers? And the answer is, it appears to be yes, because any situation, I, I, my cousin had a stroke. He's in the hospital right now. I can't even get in to see him. He's in the United States. He's not a healthy person, but you know it's really an unfortunate situation. But my God, if he, he could actually be listed as a COVID-19 death if he can't get out of there. It, 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 this has nothing to do with COVID-19, but it, it, he, he could go under that as a statistic. What a shocking thing that would be. Um, he never took care of himself, was extremely um, difficult person his whole life. And um, you know he ended up in a hospital right now. Nobody can get even get in there. And this is really another very big issue is people with legitimate health issues that could be being helped right now are not able to be helped because of all this COVID-19 nonsense that's going on in hospitals. Not that I'm a an advocate of the way hospitals work, but there are some things good that happen in hospitals. And there's definitely good people in hospitals and people can be helped in hospitals in certain cases, but they're not being helped because of the situation that's happening right now. Yeah. I think another strange thing about it, based on my recent interviews with uh, Dr. Thomas Cowan and Dr. Uh, uh, Rashid Buttar is in regard to, and I forget which one said what piece of this, but there's two really crazy things about this. One is that the test that's being used, the standardized test to detect COVID-19, uh, I forget the gentleman's name that invented it. Yeah, the PCR test and it's an RNA PCR test. And yes, and he even he was saying, don't use this for diagnosis. Meanwhile, the fact checkers today on Facebook Go ahead. You know, they're 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 using some you know study saying that like, hey, this is totally one hundred percent accurate and absolutely accurate for COVID nineteen. Meanwhile, these other dudes in China are like, look, this is eighty percent inaccurate, eighty percent, eighty percent false positives. So right there, that's like conflict. Like, how did we go from zero percent to eighty percent? And what? Huh? It's the same test. So, and then you know they're pushing this now on Facebook. You know, Facebook and Instagram are owned by Zuckerberg and his wife, Chan, who's a total medical scientism doctor. Absolutely. We're going to vaccinate. We're going to... Scientism is this cure for everything. Doctors know everything. She's one of those, man. It's gnarly. Yeah. The other thing that uh, Buttar uh, explained to me was that in addition to the actual test being flawed and largely inaccurate, was that if you have had certain vaccines like the flu shot, it will cause you to have a false positive and test positive for COVID-19. And that was 
his hypothesis was that's why you're seeing in areas like New York City that are cold, overpopulated, you know, really dense population that so many people get the flu vaccine. And that's why so many people are being diagnosed, not necessarily even being sick, but just that the numbers are high uh, relative to some other cities because there's there's that piece. Then there's the piece that that fake news is using as a as a blanket uh, debunking scheme where they're saying anyone that's questioning whether there's a correlation between the rollout of 5G and really heavy levels of, of EMF in certain cities like Wuhan, China, that rolled it out in late 2019, they're saying that conspiracy theorists are claiming that 5G causes COVID, which I've never even heard anyone say. The, the hypothesis there is that there's a correlation, not causation, because it's known that being in a high RF environment lowers your immune response. And so perhaps there is a real virus or a real pathogen of some sort. We don't really know. But- and it, it definitely, that's so important. And I'm glad you're bringing that up because this is how the system tries to twist the story and tries to go, oh, we're going from causation uh, or from correlation to causation. They're saying it's this. And they're not actually saying that. I'm not saying that. Nobody's saying that. What we're saying is, is that 5G heats up and microwaves oxygen molecules and carbon dioxide molecules, which can affect respiration of a person. 5G is definitely strong enough to cause radiation poisoning, which can cause flu-like symptoms. So with an 80% false positive rate with the COVID-19 PCR test, the RNA test, and then you go into a facility like a hospital and say, I've got all these respiratory problems and I can't have trouble breathing. You're going to get labeled COVID-19. Next thing you know, they're going to push you through that whole rigmarole. Meanwhile, all it was was radiation poisoning from all the Wi-Fi and all the 5G and all the other networks and computers and everything else that's around us. You're actually just dealing with radiation poisoning. I think everybody in our field has been very clear about that, but I think it's very clear that the system, number one, doesn't want any weaponization or doesn't want anybody to, to believe that 5G can be weaponized. They want 5G is perfectly fine. What do you mean 5 does a problem with 5G? Um, they de- there's definitely an agenda of that. And there's definitely an, an agenda to increase the, um, you know, the belief in the, in, in, you know, that there's an actual contagion out there that is really being, you know, mostly being categorized as people already have trouble and already have respiratory infections of other causes. We'll be right back at you after this brief but important announcement. When it comes to health and biohacking, I always recommend getting back to nature. However, for some of us, that isn't always possible. And when it comes to getting healthy doses of red light from the sun, that can be very difficult to do based on the time of year where you live and the fact that that red light really only happens in great intensity at dusk and dawn. So sometimes it's hard for us to get our dose of red light that way. Enter my friends over at juve.com. Now, natural light is critical for cellular health, and most of us just don't get enough of it. But with Juve, I can get a full day's worth of healthy natural light in just a few minutes right here in my podcast studio or the one that I have in my backyard in the Zen Den. I've got Juves all over the place, basically. The natural light from a juve supercharges your mitochondria in your cells so that your body can make more energy or ATP. Now, this has all kinds of health benefits backed up by literally thousands of peer-reviewed clinical studies. That is to say it's legit. Now, one of the things that's really been great for me is increasing my testosterone levels as I age, which has been dope. 
And I have, of course, verified that by doing labs. That's the only way you could really know. And I think that has a lot to do with using the juve because many of the studies indicate that that's one of the main benefits. It's also great for your skin, inflammation, recovering from workouts, all this kind of stuff. So if you want to check it out, here's what you do. Get over to juve.com. That's J-O-O-V-V forward slash Luke. Juve.com forward slash Luke. Easy to find, easy to buy. They have a bunch of different models that fit your budget, fit different places in your home. And I recommend doing this for 10 to 15 minutes every single day. And on a good day, I'll even do it in the evening as well, like a couple 10-minute sessions. And I'll do different things while I'm standing in front of it, lift weights, stretch, hang out, do breath work. It's not like a boring, passive thing that you just have to force yourself to do. You do have to stand there somewhat naked, but uh, you can keep yourself entertained in whatever way serves you while you're doing that. That's juve.com forward slash Luke. And now back to the interview. I mean, to me, a simple experiment, if you want to be an armchair scientist, is put a raw steak that's all juicy and full of blood and water in a microwave <laughs> and watch what happens. Turns into fucking shoe leather. You know, it's, it dehydrates tissue. I mean, just that fundamentally is enough to be like, okay, and if there's exorbitant, uh, exorbitant uh, levels of RF in an urban environment. And it's not even... See, in some of these areas, people are confused. They think that the millimeter wave thing has been totally rolled out and that that's all 5G is. Just to clarify, based on my research and interviewing a lot of brilliant people, it's the fifth generation. And what they're doing right now is piggybacking on the old 4G network and adding more towers. But it's not in most places in the millimeter wave range. But what's happening is like in LA, we've got T-Mobile is on 600 megahertz. And that was a frequency range that was not used before for 4G. And so they've added that. So now you have like 1900, you have you know, all the other uh, ranges of frequency that were 3G, 4G, LTE, etc. Now you're piling all these other frequencies on top of that with even more towers. And so it's just it's that the environment is becoming more and more inundated with not only the levels becoming higher, but also the range of frequencies that our body has no way to cope with at all. And let me, let me, I want to throw something out because this is, you know, you've been talking to Dr. Cowan and some of, some of your people, have, they've heard Dr. Cowan and they've been listening to him. And, you know, I am a very deep st- student of Rudolf Steiner. I read Rudolf Steiner every single day. As is he. Um, as does he. And so let me tell you what Rudolf Steiner said primarily, because no one said this. I, I'm amazed, not even Dr. Cowan. I'm like, dude, you got to say this first. What Dr. What um Dr. Rudolf Steiner said actually before even getting into the danger of what's going to happen with the electrification of the earth and the and the propagation of plagues as a result of that by essentially lowering people's immunity and and causing them um you know an inability cause it's causing radiation poisoning but what he said way before that and is more primary is that with each stage of electrification the population is dumbed down that was what steiner said that first and foremost no one said that i've been like dude dr Cowan, come tell him what do you come on bro um that's the first thing. He says, with every stage of electrification, the population gets dumbed down. That is so important to understand that. And that's why what we see today is like, you know, people can, like, dude, every day I've got to like fix a roof, climb on this, hammer this thing together, put this thing, figure out how to deal with the mice. So, you know, it's like forest living, right? You know, you're living in the forest, you got to deal with like all these different things that are natural problems that a human being is supposed to deal with. And it keeps your intellect up. It keeps your wit up. 
Once you get into that urban jungle with all that Wi-Fi and radiation, everything, electricity all around you, all of that part of you that makes you human is that is an important part of your humanity is dissipated. It's just, it's just amazing how that's just lost and what that's done to our experience on Earth. Like one of my favorite experiences is outsmarting the animals. That's one that's a natural human experience. You're supposed to like I've got my whole yard set up to keep the deer out. I don't have any fences. I've never put a fence up. But I got it set up so that they go, I don't know if I want to be right here. And, you know, it's just a natural use of our humanity. And this is, again, a very Rudolf Steiner thing. With each stage of electrification, we're also losing our humanity. Yeah, makes a lot of sense. And also, uh, when I interviewed, I think it was Cowan, he mentioned a book that was in the show notes for that episode. But uh, with each stage of electrification follows some sort of pandemic or plague, right? So the first one being when we rolled out 60 Hertz in the United States, then there was a wave of illness then. And uh, when radar was invented and used in World War One, or you know, I forget the timelines or exactly what it was, but there, there are these stages and then you can have this correlation between that and not only, as you said, the dumbing down and just kind of like, you know, dampening of our innate senses, but also uh, the rollout of, new pandemics. And it's just like, no one's really paid attention to the one we're in because everyone's like, oh, faster downloads. It's just like, dude, uh, it's just funny. It's funny to be human at this point in time when we're, we're knowing we're going to look back and this is the asbestos, this is the big tobacco, you know, this is the lead paint. We're going to be like, oh, oh why, why didn't we think of that as we've decimated the bee population and possibly therefore the human food supply? It's just, uh, it's incredible to watch. Uh, I wanted to ask you one other thing on this um, because we, we were going to get into this last time in our episode 128 conversation and we didn't. Uh, and this is one that I find more and more people are waking up to, which is wonderful, is the existence of uh, aerosol spraying or geoengineering in our skies as is commonly called chemtrails. And not even like using that word because then people go, dude, those are just contrails. That's just planes. That's what they do. Um, but I've noticed there have been, okay, I've been noticing this phenomenon since probably 1995, 96, living in LA. I started looking up in the sky going, huh, why is there tic-tac-toe patterns all over the sky that, that arrive in the morning when it was a totally clear day? And then after they sort of like dissipate, become more diffuse, now it's a cloudy day when no clouds ever came. Uh, what planes fly in tic-tac-toe patterns not coming in and out of LAX? What airport are they coming from? Because you don't fly from like South Central to the Valley. There's no air, you know what I mean? Like they're going all different directions. It's against FAA regulations. You can't cross paths. I mean, the whole idea that there's going to be a crossed path is in, that's, that's against flight regulations. I mean, and right the, there. Okay, and then and then this, then the phenomenon I started to notice was because when I asked about it, you know, fringe people would say, dude, that's geoengineering. That's that's chemtrails. They're blocking out the sun and this and that. And okay, well, then maybe that's true. But I do remember being a kid and watching planes in the sky laying in the grass and you'd see this little trail behind the plane and then it would dissipate. And that's what the contrarians say chemtrails are. No, that's just contrails. Then I started to see both of them happening in the same sky at the same time, where you see like a chemtrail plane going by, just this huge spray that lasts all day. And then you see another plane right near it or crossing by with a contrail that dissipates like it would in nature condensation, right? And so right there, that debunked it. 
And then for the people that would say, well, um, you know, that's just normal flight patterns. Well, I live in LA where there's a lot of air traffic every single day of the year and take two days that have the exact same level of humidity, the exact same weather. One day, the entire sky is full of chemtrails. The next day, there's not one. So does that mean we've ceased all air travel that day? You know, it's just like such common sense idiocy to even question that that's going on. Now, what's in them? Why they're doing it? Who's behind it? You know, is it that nefarious? Is it for our own good? Is it one of those things that eventually will, oh, thank God the government did that and didn't tell us? I, I don't know, but I do know that it's happening. Here's my question to you, or just a statement and see if you've noticed this too. Very strangely, when Donald Trump was elected president of the United States of America, the day he took office, chemtrails in LA stopped for about six months. And it was weird because I'm paranoid. I'm always looking up at the chemtrails. I try not to and I just, I'm addicted to it because they, they're weird. And I thought, holy shit, because he's so fiscally motivated and his, his platform is all about the economy. You know, at least that's what he says and has proven to be true up until this, you know, shutting down the economy by the powers that be that are reversing that progress that he and the country made. But I thought maybe he realized this thing was going on and it's just, it's an added expense. It's a line item that doesn't make sense to him. And so he stopped the program. I was like, fuck yeah, you know, out of all the weird things going on, at least we got that. But then they started again and, and have been periodic. But I will say in the past couple of years, less than prior years in LA. Although yeah. I have them in countries where I didn't used to see them, which is a whole other thing. But what's really trippy to me which is my main point here, is since the lockdown started, I've not seen one chemtrail in LA the entire time. And I brought that up on social media and the idiots on social media said, that's because there's not so many planes flying. <laughs> well, I think that that's why they're doing it, right? They're probably recalibrating all their systems. They're resetting everything. And then they're falling right into a narrative that would make it look like, hey, since there's not much planes flying, this is a perfect time so we can recalibrate everything. Then we'll get everybody also to be believe that the actual plane flights are really just real plane flights instead of chemtrail planes. There's a lot of things. I mean, I've, I've had a lot of observations of this over the years. One is, is that the, the height above normal air traffic, let's say that air traffic maxes out at 40,000 feet from 42,000 feet to 50,000 is where a lot of chemtrailing is occurring. And I know that from traveling all over the world for years and years, we would fly through them or you could see the, the above you. You'd be like, oh, they're above us. This is where this is actually happening. And I have seen data and FAA regulations where they've moved the ceiling down for commercial jet aircraft over the years because there's so much activity in that 42,000 to 50,000 altitude, um, which is the chemtrail activity, I suspect, is what's going on. The original stuff started with NATO, you know, when it really got going, even though it began before NATO, all the way back to, I think it was Project, what was it, Project... Um, Cirrus, I think, goes way back in before NATO. But most of the chemtrailing in the world is occurring through NATO. And this is showing us, by the way, that, like, you know, we thought that, oh, we won that war and look how great we are and look at all this jingoism and everything else. We never won nothing. We, we didn't win a damn thing. That war's still going on. Now it's, now it's on us. Now NATO's spraying us. 
right? So this is how dangerous wars are. That things can get started like a NATO that gets out of control, that's not under the control of the US government or any government. And suddenly they're now putting their, they've got aerial dominance over the United States and Canada and Europe and everywhere and Iceland. I've seen them kept trailing as far north as the very north of Iceland too. There is a, tra- there is a uh, pathway that they do that cuts... Um, right across the top of Iceland, right down through Reykjavik. And they do it semi-regularly, but I have seen it enough to know that that's a route that they do, that's a spray route. So it goes that high up, which is very high up. And we're talking like 64, 65 degrees north latitude. That's insane. Also considering that the you know, the narrative that has leaked out. I mean, Bill Gates is on record talking about, we've invented a way to block out the sun. And I love the way that when... The powers that be discuss the idea of geoengineering. It's always discussed as something they're just thinking about doing someday that this new idea that could work to combat global warming. <laughs> it's like, uh, uh, what? You're going to do it? But it's it's this idea. And let's just say, again, playing devil's advocate and siding with the Illuminati here for a moment that let's just say it's for our own good and there is such a thing as global warming, whether it be man-made or, you know, actually caused by the sun and the radiation from the sun, which is kind of more the way I would lean personally based on ice core drillings and just actual factual um, history of the earth's temperature. But let's just say, okay, the whole planet's going to burn up. So we got to spray some shit in the air to cool the surface of the planet. Then how do you explain it being sprayed over, you know, places where all there is is ice and mountains and, and, and also uh, it's it's definitely sprayed. I know for sure because again, you know, I'm, I'm, this is breaking a 26 year travel streak for me right now. I'm one of the most well traveled people on earth. I've traveled every week for so many years; it would boggle people's minds. There's no question that population centers are more heavily chemtrailed. No question about it. I know that for a fact. Right. I've noticed that in London, you know, in London and New York City, that it's just all day long. Whereas if I go to Colorado, where my dad lives, you see a few fly by. They still do it. But it's not tic-tac-toe all day long, just blanketing, blanketing, blanketing. London's the worst I've ever seen. London's the worst for, and you know, God bless our friends in London, but surveillance, just New World Order Central, man. London gives me the creeps, dude. It's just, it's, you know, the shutting down people that talk against the rape grooming gangs and calling them, you know, Islamophobes and all the denial and the corruption in the police force. And it's London, the UK in general is a really weird place. Um, so do you see any anything positive coming in terms of, of the geoengineering in, in terms of people becoming more aware of it that it, stands any chance of being truly exposed and no longer considered a conspiracy theory when you have like John Brennan, when he was head of the CIA, admitting that it's happening? It's on video. I mean, you can watch it. Yeah, it's, you know, when you look at like things like Frankenskies and, and these other films that co- collate that data and they, like, here's them telling you what they're doing. It starts to just make it self-evident. And there's a, there's a growing population of people out there that they know it. It's self-evident. It's just obvious what's going on. And the fact that we are basically incapable of defending our own country's skies is very gnarly. It, what, what that means. That's very gnarly discovery. And that's, and you know, it's like, who's really running things? Is the US Air Force really doing anything for us? I mean, who's really running this? And then, the, then I have definitely noticed that over our lifetime, and especially in the last 10 years, I think most of it's being done by drone now. 
I don't think there's many pilots involved at all. I think it could be mostly drone. Now, if I took, let's just say I took, you know, a little aircraft that was this big, right? And I put it up in the sky way up there. You couldn't tell the size of it at a certain distance. So what could be going on is they could be putting up model craft up there at a certain height that to your eye, you go, oh, that thing's at a certain distance or is a certain deal. But I have seen evidence that it's not, that what we're, what the chemtrail plane actually is could be a much smaller craft, but made to your eye to appear to be higher up or closer down or bigger than it actually is. And, th- and that's just something that, you know, when you, when you like, for example, um, it's just like, you know, like take a drone, take your drone and fly it up there. And you just very quickly, you lose sight of it. You're like, boom, it just disappeared. So then you start going, okay, how big would it have to be? Well, you know, what could maybe the thing that's flying up there is one third the size of a commercial jet airliner. It's made to look like a commercial jet airliner, but it's actually a drone. Th- that all, I've been through all of that research and I think there's something to it. The thing that I find uh, troubling about it, even though, you know, obviously like you, I'm remaining positive and having the best life ever, just kind of watching the freak show that is the state of humanity. (laughs) It's a cosmic giggle. I do want to get into that, dude. The cosmic giggles, it's at all time highs. I mean, it's, it's, something's got to balance this thing out, man. I, I have never seen better memes. Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, your your Telegram channel is is great. I've I snatched a lot of memes and <laughs> my other groups, and I'll post them on Instagram. Whatever, kick me off. Fuck you. You know, yeah, you. And I'm talking to you. But uh, the thing that's weird about the chemtrails, and I'll close that topic with this, is the the electrification of the air with three, four, five G, and now the air being largely almost everywhere in the world being full of metal particulate and now conductive. I mean, air is already conductive because it's got humidity in it. It has electrolytes, right? So it's already able to be electrified. But I'm like, what is happening now when you have like, you know, aluminum dust everywhere in the air and now you're sending RF through that. It's like, it's so weird. It's just so weird. So and in, in- I do want to bring this up. You know, people say, well, the 5G could be weaponized to electrify the air right in front of you and microwave the oxygen and carbon dioxide right in front of your mouth, that kind of thing. It's doing that anyway. It's right. doing that. If that thing's on, it's, it's actually radiating and it's making the oxygen excited and the carbon dioxide excited. And people are breathing that in anyway. That's just just because that thing's on over there doesn't mean it's not affecting you over here because that wind blows over here. Next thing you know, you're breathing in those high energy radioactive by definition particles of oxygen and carbon dioxide. Yeah, yeah. I just wanted to throw that in there. Yeah, no, that's that's good. And you know, I think we've in a, in a lighthearted way we've covered a lot of stuff here that to some people, especially people newer to these type of topics could be kind of terrifying and leave them with like, wow, should I just jump off a bridge now? This is all hopeless. Uh, what do you, <laughs> what do you do personally to, to, you know, stay engaged and adding, you know, sharing information in the ways in which you do and making a contribution to awaken people? What do you have to offer in terms of us not being so myopic and getting caught in the fear and anxiety and like being trapped in a limbic system trauma loop about the man trying to kill us and keep us down and Epstein and chemtrails and viruses? And, you know, I mean, if if you start to become awakened, it's terrifying in a sense if you don't have a spiritual framework where you understand and live from a place of consciousness that you're not your body and 
therefore you can't be harmed. I mean, this is my framework is like, I actually can't be harmed because I'm not a body. And I know that. I forget a lot of the time because I feel my body and I'm kind of stuck in it unless I take ayahuasca. And so it's like, how do you maintain joy and happiness and love when there's so much deception and evil uh, present in our experience? One of my favorite people, and I think you know him well, is Reverend Michael Beckwith. Oh, yeah. And he's one of my favorite people to hang out with. And, and I like the way he addresses that exact question, which is, it just it's all perspective. You know, from in one perspective, the evil that we're dealing with, the parasites that we're dealing with, they're important because they're, they're the resistance that help, that's helping us evolve and develop our soul's journey. They're creating the story of our lives because without that resistance, we're in the light. We don't even need to be in this body. We're in the light. We don't need to be here. Right. So it's that. So the perspective is very important, which is these forces. And I always go back to the Rudolf Steiner perspective, which is you have the Luciferic force, which is the escapism and the false light and the disintegrative force. And you have the Aramonic forces, which is the sedimentary concretization, materialistic, mechanistic, and soulless energies. And those two types of evil beset humankind. And we have to stay in that middle between those. You know, that's our life path. And that's part of our journey. And that's part of the excitement of life. You know, this, without the resistance, there, there's no fun. So you have to maintain that perspective because that's the reality of it. So if, you know, from the higher perspective, that evil is resistance that needs to be there. It's parasitic forces that are developing you as a being, as a soul. They're developing your life story. You know, it's, how are you going to have the greatest story ever told if it's not interesting? Yeah, that's a, that's a great way to to frame that, and it it reminds me of the ways in which I have to reconcile darkness, and that there is inherently so much suffering in the human experience. And it's exactly that. It's like I imagine, say you take uh, say you take a postgraduate PhD, and you 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 put them in a kindergarten class. You know, it's like if this was easy, and there were no opposing dualistic energies for us to have to overcome, then there would be no benefit to a human incarnation. And I think that's the folly of so many people that want, you know, just love and light, unicorns and rainbows, a perfect world. Like, what are you going to get out of a perfect world? Because how are you going to learn anything? There's no adversity to overcome and you don't have the, you don't have the depth of contrast or choice from which to elevate your consciousness because your consciousness and everything else in your environment is already elevated, which is, you know, I'm assuming the states that you achieve when you leave the body and live in these angelic realms, not incarnated or embodied. And so we've chosen to come here, be in this pain in the ass body with a sore back, with chemtrails, with 5G, with, you know, with Hitler's, with all the shit that we have to deal with. Uh, it's nuts, man. It is. I mean, you know, it's just we're right now. It's peaking out. That's a Rudolf Steiner thing too. He said that in this in the, in the 21st century, from, from about 2016 to 2040, the whole thing peaks out. The harmonic deception peaks out. And he actually says, if we're going to be totally honest with Rudolf Steiner, he actually says that Aramon takes a body. Meaning that Aramon's actually the it, the way Rudolf Steiner describes it is that he he's a four body type of being. So you have your astral body, which is really your soul. You have your ether body, which is the formative forces that make you. you have your physical body. We got that. We know what that is. And then you have your eye and ego formation, which is your personality and your individuation. And what survives your death is your astral body, your soul. Right. It, what he says is that Aramon, which is actually an energy, an entity, a consciousness, an astral 
a region of the lower astral realms actually takes a body in this century. Um, so, and he says it happens and it peaks out right between 2016, 2040. So, you know, so to me, I'm like, this is the greatest story ever told. This is the craziest thing of all time. This is going to be nuts. So this is going to be really, really interesting. And so this COVID-19 stuff is really up the, the whole thing of like, Oh, it's on. It's definitely on right now. And we'll see. And in our, and it's interesting too, is we incarnated right at that time. Right at that time when the whole thing peaks out. And uh, it's exciting times to be alive. And we're just going to, and, and people ask me every day, how do I battle this? What do I do about this? No problem. Keep, keep putting the truth out there. Keep living your truth. Keep, keep living your, your dream, right? Because you don't want to let this stuff affect your dreams. Keep living your dreams. They keep going after your goals. And in spite of it all, have the best day ever. I love it, dude. Thank you for that perspective. Uh, in closing, who have been three teachers that have influenced your life and your work that you might recommend we check out? Definitely Rudolf Steiner is my favorite. I mean, it just, dude, whoa. I mean, you know, people ask me, what should I start with? Probably the philosophy of freedom. That's the most mainstream of Rudolf Steiner stuff. Beyond that, he got too esoteric. It was a little too much for people, but the philosophy of freedom. Next person is Victor Schauberger, who showed me that not all technology is bad, just the type of technology that we have, which is exploding stuff. We're taking stuff that's been formed, you know, and then blowing it up to create energy, right? That's kind of like, it's kind of like Newton versus, um, Victor Schauberger, you know, Newton said, how did the, what, you know, why does the apple fall from the tree? Victor Schauberger said, how'd that apple get up there in the first place? <laughs> right, right, right. So Victor Schauberger's research is really great. I recommend anything you can find on Victor Schauberger and, and then bringing it to, you know, reality, like play around with the water technology he talks about. And then the third one we haven't talked about is my personal, I think, favorite author of all time, a total contrarian and just an X factor dude, best ever. Charles Fort, F-O-R-T. He wrote four books, The Book of the Damned, Wild Talents, Low, and New Lands. Those four books, you can get them all in one big volume. He was the main inspiration for Stephen King. Many of Stephen King's books are based on Charles Fort's discoveries, for lack of a better term. And what I love about Fort stuff is you think you know something, you think you got it figured out, you think you got an angle on something, check this out. And all of a sudden, he just obliterates everything. It just shows you evidence. Like, you, you think you know something about this? Well, you, you think werewolves are all fake and ridiculous and just a total hoax? What, look at this evidence. You think Bigfoot's are a hoax and totally stupid? Look at this. You, you know, it just goes on and on and on and on in every subject. And uh, I, just, I just love his, his style of writing is a favorite. Awesome, man. Well, thank you for the recommendations. We'll put those in the show notes. And uh, in closing, where can we find you, social media, websites, et cetera? David Avocado Wolf here on Instagram, David Avocado Wolf on Facebook. And then from there, I can direct you into my Telegram, which is t.me slash David Avocado Wolf. So HTTP colon slash slash T is the letter T dot me slash David Avocado Wolf. You can find me on Telegram Messenger. Awesome, dude. Well, thanks so much for joining me again. It's been great to catch up and I'm glad we got to go into some of the more fringe stuff that we we were just beginning to touch on in our last conversation when you're at my house. And so I think we like nailed everything we could possibly do today up until this point. And, you know, we'll talk again in a, in a few when things get even weirder. <laughs> and see what it's, we'll, good. 
it's gonna when 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 things get what, what is it when things get weird the the weird go pro something like that i love it <laughs> so that's what's happening right now dude thanks so much it's been great thanks for everybody joining us on instagram you guys have the best day ever right. and uh, i will be in touch see you soon see ya cheers bro well, that brings another episode of the Lifestylist Podcast to a close. And I'm guessing right about now, your jaw is sitting down there on the floor somewhere. So I'd like to invite you to just go ahead and pick that up, put your brain back in your skull, get your head together and share this episode with as many friends as you can. Just today, one of my videos was actually deleted from YouTube uh, in light of the, the uh, overt and tyrannical censorship that we discussed in this episode. Uh, I made the cardinal error of using the word pandemic in a title of a show I did with Dr. Buttar. Now, the podcast episode is, of course, still there at this time in the podcast player on iTunes, but who knows when they'll come for that. So it's really important that we share different points of view as we're presented in this conversation with David Wolf. And uh, as promised, if you wanted to check out some of the coded silver that David has made available. I'd like to invite you to visit his site. Go to shop.davidwolf.com. And when you find the coded silver there, you can save 10% off using the code loop2020. Uh, even though we you know, have our different thoughts about the nature of what's going on from a medical perspective, I personally uh, make an effort to keep my immune system strong and uh, to detoxify on a regular basis. So don't forget to check that out. Uh, in terms of upcoming speaking events, man, they're being rescheduled faster than I can update my site. So if you're wondering where I'm going to be appearing live, just know that you can always visit lukestory.com forward slash events for up to the minute uh, changes there. Uh, as of now, I've got a few booked this year. I hesitate to announce the dates because they seem to get pushed back. Uh, it is what it is. I'm going to keep the podcast going and that's my main focus at the moment. I'd like to thank our sponsors, Juve, that's J-O-O-V-V.com forward slash Luke. They make some great red light therapy. I've got one sitting right next to me. I use that damn thing every day and it's awesome. So go to juve.com forward slash Luke. Then we've got Just Thrive. They make some great immunity products and probiotics. Go to justthrivehealth.com, enter the code Luke15 and you will save 15% off. And then finally, Cured Nutrition. These guys make some great nootropics with different herbs, medicinal mushrooms, CBD, etc. It's an awesome company with really potent and pure products. Go to curednutrition.com, enter the code LIFESTYLIST and save 15% off. And with that, my folks, I'm going to give your ears a rest and let you go. I'll be tuning back in, of course, on Tuesday with Garrett McNamara. We talk about the Zen of surfing, keeping it a little lighter on that episode. But trust me when I say... There's going to be some more groundbreaking, thought-provoking episodes of this show to follow. Thank you so much for joining me. And again, don't forget to share this episode with a friend.